This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Christopher Hollinshead, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash Wrestling. And hey, you can support the show and get access to over 50 exclusive episodes, including our new How To Revisited series by becoming just a $5 backer. Kevin, I've been in the danger zone having a cup of coffee in the big time. Also, I've been playing an awesome independent wrestling puzzle game. Sounds like you've been playing the internet's fave cool new wrestle game. It's called The Muscle Hustle. It's available for free to download now on Google Play and the App Store. And as the best things in life are free, you can get a free gift from your best podcast pals by putting in the code HOWTOMACHOMAN to get a special gift in-game. Warning, side effects of using this code include, but are not limited to, Macho Madness, forming the mega powers, going left when Elizabeth goes right, transubstantiation, reincarnation, and a penchant for ski goggles. Please freak out and dig it responsibly, and check out The Muscle Hustle. But for now, Enjoy our new episode. It's How To Macho Man. friends and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, ooh yeah, how to enjoy wrestling. And joining me today in our look back at one of the most meticulous, intense, and charismatic individuals of all time, it's Joanna Graham. Hello, Joe. Hello. Are you very excited? Yes, I'm very excited. When I said hello, I was going to face the other way. Oh, really? I was going to just talk <laughs> my back to the microphone, and I realized in a podcast that doesn't translate I know I mean it's very sad obviously anytime we're talking about a wrestler who's no longer with us and of course Macho Man you know passed away in 2011 right before the podcasting boom and anyone who's a wrestler who's pretty good at talking ends up usually having a podcast at some point yeah but I think Macho Man Randy Savage podcasting where you go at 360 degrees <laughs> 180 and then you go right up to the camera and go, let me tell you something, something, something. I mean, Mean Gene Oakland and Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage doing a podcast. That would be my dream podcast. Yeah, where Macho Man introduces Mean Gene to, I don't know, baseball or something like that. Uh, hi, once again, I'm Cowboy Kevin Mann, by the way. Very enthralled and excited to talk about... By the looks of your tweets, one of the most beloved wrestlers of all time, it seems. I am so blown away by how beloved Macho Man is. Considering, like, I knew nothing about him going into this. I knew he was a a madman with, like, <laughs> big hair and over-the-top clothes. And he spoke in this weird voice and he looked like an alien. Yeah, and that I- was a recurring thing, saying he looked like an alien a well, lot. Well, just from me. No one yeah. else thinks he looks like an alien. No, it's you. That's what I mean. Like, you were, you were constantly, like, kind of, oh, it's a, hey, Macho Man. Like, oh, the alien we're talking yeah. about then. And I think I know why it is that he always makes me think of aliens. And, right, it's because I found out from doing all the research for this episode, and by research I mean reading everyone's fine tweets, that Macho Man was in Spider-Man. The first ah. Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Yeah, as in uh, with Sam Raimi's Sam Spider-Man, Spider-Man. You know, classic Spider-Man, basically. <laughs> Peak Spider-Man. No, it's... Tobey Maguire didn't die at the end of Infinity War because he is the strongest Spider-Man. That makes no sense. Just, I'm just saying, you know. Spider-Man was in Infinity War. Yeah, the weak Spider-Man. I'm just saying Tobey Maguire, he's still slinging out there, is what I'm saying. Oh my god. Macho Man Randy Savage is in Spider-Man. 
Do you remember the name of his professional wrestling character in Spider-Man? Yeah, he's called the Bonesaw. Bonesaw McGraw! Yeah. And I, I realise now why I find him so scary. It's because I saw that film before I knew who Macho Man was. Ah. But like somewhere in my subconscious, I think it's gotten that character confused with. Now, here we go. Men in Black 3. <laughs> Jermaine Clements plays the really scary yeah, alien. Yeah. And he kind of looks like Bonesaw McGraw. You're right, because I think at that point in Macho Man's career, it's on, what, 2002 or 3, it looks like whatever the symbiote that causes yeah. Macho Madness is trying to leave the body and he's kind of misshapen. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can totally imagine that, like, Macho Man could, like, shed his exoskeleton <laughs> and inside, like, full of, uh, like, an insect colony or something, and it's, like, alien insects. Man, what a complex individual we're talking about here. So, I mean, I think previous experience on this podcast of Macho Man Randy Savage, Spider Man fandom notwithstanding, um, but I believe we watched a match with him before, which is DDP and Macho Man Randy Savage when we did, did an episode. Yeah, that was a Diamond Dallas Page's favourite match at Spring Stampede. Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't remember that. Well, I think it's because it's quite a different Macho Man to who maybe we were focusing a lot here today, which is maybe Macho Man more in his prime. But, I mean, you said you saw him first and you thought he looked like an alien and whatnot, mm. but, I mean, having seen a bit of Randy Savage now, for someone who's listening to this, maybe knows the name, doesn't really know what he is, mm. how would you describe this professional wrestler? Knowing everything I know now? Yeah. It's so hard. He's a complex, challenged man. He's... Elevator pitch Randy Savage. Oh my God. The macho man Randy Savage. Maybe not the, the man, the, the, the character at the least. The character. Yeah. I don't think you can describe the character without describing the man. Mm. He's too much a part of him. <laughs> but the character of Macho Man, I mean, he's... He's bold, he's bombastic, he's savage, he's got this long, mad hair. He looks he looks really scary. Like, he does. He looks manages to look scary, hunky, quite camp, like yeah. all at the same time. He's coming from an era now, like in the eighties, where I mean, we've looked at a few guys I mean like Hulk Hogan obviously would be the big name from the eighties yeah. we looked at. It's hard to maybe stand out being a colourful, bombastic character in that time frame. Yeah. So why is it about Randy? Is there other things about him that make him like a bit different from the other 80s wrestlers? Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point because you've got like, the Ultimate Warrior and yeah. Ric Flair as well. They're all very colourful. But he's got a very silly voice. Ah, the voice. He's got a very silly voice and the way he does his promos is incredibly silly. It's so weird. It seems like the type of promo you would only get now on like NXT or Chikara or somewhere, like a, a, a smaller promotion where they're kind of allowed to do their own thing a bit more. Why, in that it seems a bit too silly for a straight-laced Vince McMahon and Triple H on the main yeah, roster. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's promos where he will just start spinning around. Or like I said earlier on, he'll just turn his back to the camera and just have a conversation with me and Gene, like, with his back to you. So much of what he does goes against, like, everything you're taught. Yeah. As, like, kind of, you know, I, I did speech and drama when I was in school. And, you know, there's all things you always face... The, the, the camera yeah. or the audience or whatever yeah, yeah. it is you always speak in a very clear voice yeah you project you project enunciate. you make sure you would never go really high like this and then go really soft no. and slow also like you, you wouldn't ramble you'd know exactly what you're gonna say you wouldn't use words like transubstantiation unless you're at least 80% sure of what they're talking about like before we got into any like matches or like the documentary we looked at Macho Man the Randy Savage story from, from WWE for this but before we got into any of that the first thing I knew I had to show Joe much like when we did Rowdy Roddy Piper it was the interviews because I think the interviews in the voice like if you just see him wrestle it doesn't do him justice 
it is so much about that voice. And that's why I have to ask you now, Joe, if you can do the voice because you know you've got a lot of uh, you've got a lot of fans of your voice. Mm. Uh, I noticed you're on I don't even own a TV recently, yeah. where every second quip was about your voice. I think a lot of people don't get over the the. Ing- I still haven't gotten over the fact that you've got an English voice. But could you try and do you just like not when you leave the house? How do you cope? Like there's English accents everywhere, Kevin. Yeah, but not like you know, not like not, not like, like Joe Graham. Not like Joe Graham, like just you know. go to Cambridge. <laughs> They've all got the same bloody accent down there. So can you attempt to do? randy savage's voice or at least attempt some of the mannerisms of yeah, randy yeah, savage yeah. i can go oh yeah brother oh a cup of coffee in the big time <laughs> it really hurts <coughs> it hurts your voice doesn't it, it does it really great that's the thing right Back we know we often go along on these podcasts and i have to be very very careful like because i can't just kind of go straight away i want to be going like, oh yeah <laughs> you just want to do like steve austin impressions all the time this one's gonna be real hard it is this is difficult oh uh, joe i'm not gonna lie to you i want to snap into it yeah but I, I, I have to hold it back right now you hey, know snap into this pepper army instead so with the promos i mean you mentioned that he has got a very, obviously, very distinct voice, mm-hmm. and he would often be spinning around and whatnot. Yeah, but he also, he will include props. I, I really like that. What props did he use in some of the promos we watched? I'm trying to remember them. I, the funniest one, the one that absolutely broke me. I know Kevin's gesticulating a tiny coffee milk thing, which, okay, is great. The cream of the crop cream promo. the top. Which is a, it's technically a three-parter, isn't it? There's the first interview he does, which is about coffee yeah just a cup of coffee in the big time then he's got the match and then afterwards he's got the cream of the <laughs> crop yeah well, and then there was another one where he had a broom as a well broom. but my favorite one the one that really made me lose it and also made me like go from being like yeah he's pretty funny to being like oh no okay i love him <laughs> i can't even think about laughing <laughs> he had this little like tea towel oh it's tea towel yeah he throws it like mean jeans he calls it his crying towel. <laughs> and the thought of doing that as an insult to someone th- giving them a crying towel. And the interesting thing about those is that I think back in the day, I mean, this is just from kind of reading a lot of wrestlers' autobiographies and stuff who were around in that time, like like Ric Flair and Bret Hart and whatnot. But a lot of times what they would do is they would just sit you down and kind of go, right, look, you've got an hour now. We're doing, you know, 10 weeks of TV do 10 promos for the different markets and they'd have wow. to do something different and if you can tell because he's wearing the same clothes or with slight variations a lot of those I think is is him doing a back to back that's amazing and knowing we'll get into it obviously his kind of thought process and how he approaches things but I, I really have always had this thing in my hand that Match Man is like I'm going to do a promo and it's going to be about this newspaper and he throw the newspaper and goes you're yesterday's news Santana you know and he would always find a way just to get a random object and it's like this is going to be the fucking killer promo yeah. and to think that you know i think everyone loves the cream rises to the top yeah yeah and the fact that he probably grabbed like three or four of these little things is like with a little slate of hand and wretched That's the thing, like, yeah. he does all these cool little tricks it, it honestly reminds me a lot of mr perfect oh yeah he's obviously very intelligent he's very good with his words mm. but like the fact that he has like he genuinely did a bit of sleight of hand in that program. oh yeah it was incredible like it, i couldn't stop laughing the amount of random little milk cartons he appears from nowhere i'm surprised he didn't bring one out of mean jean's ear or something i mean in fairness misdirection the whole like we're we're, we're fans of ricky J and penn and teller and whatnot we like a bit of of good sleight of hand and obviously the thing with sleight of hand is to try and distract you from the hands and there's nothing more distracting than <laughs> a matcha man with his <laughs> 
ski mask and his fucking bright bandana and his eyes like this. Oh my god, can we talk about his eyes? For yeah, let's a talk bit? about his, his eyes. Let's so, talk about his eyes. The but... eyes are the window to the soul, <laughs> as they say. As I said in the end of our last episode, I had this theory that like if he took off his sunglasses, they'd like have laser beams that just melt the skin off a person. <laughs> There's something very sinister about the fact that all his promos, they're like super colourful. He obviously wears all these really majestic, beautiful, colourful clothing. Mm. And then quite a lot of the time his sunglasses will cover all of his eyes, but they're wide enough that you can still see his eyes. Yeah. But they're like in grey. So like almost like in black and white. Like, yeah, it's also like in this high def era. Yeah. You know, you can see it all cleaned up on the network and you look in, you can actually see through the ski mask or the big sunglasses or whatever it is. Yeah. And his eyes look so sad. And I mean, honestly, like, I think his look is like a met- is a metaphor almost for him. Mm. Like, he's so colourful and big and bombastic and bold. And then you see his kind of black and white grey eyes and they look kind of dead. There is something like, I mean, there is something quite scary about that look that he gives because you you were we'd watched maybe like five or six promos back to back in one one sitting yeah. at one point and then I was like oh shit there's one I really really need to show you and there are the promos that are building up to his match with Hulk Hogan and I just I knew Joe would love these promos because he calls Hogan a hot dog multiple times <laughs> and he invents the verb hot dogging so Hogan yeah. is a hot dog who's hot dogging and grandstanding mm. and he basically talks about how it's basically how to Hogan uh, revisited <laughs> it's already been done like I hate you Hogan <laughs> but there's a part at the end and you were talking about you, know, you could see through the ski mask you were talking about his eyes and I go oh man I know it's coming and he pulls off the glasses and he goes complete and utter rage and I was like yep yeah, them are the eyes right there and there's another one as well where he does that and he pulls off the glasses and he goes all that's gonna be left is a stinking pile of guts on the mat and he, he actually looks like he's about to cry at oh, the yeah, end yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, he runs the gamut of emotions. It's not just smiley macho man. Like, he does that sometimes where he's being like kind of cheeky almost. But then there's the times where he turns up the fucking heat and he just, yeah, like laser eyes. Yeah. That rage that comes out of him is fucking scary. Yeah, he is scary. I mean, we watch The Apprentice a lot and we often talk <laughs> about intense candidates. I think Macho Man is a lot like you, Lord Sugar, in that he is filled with complete and utter rage deep down inside in the pit of his stomach. <laughs> So we decided to watch the 2014 documentary from WWE called Macho Man, The Randy Savage Story, which was a fairly decent documentary in terms of they talked to his brother, Lanny Poffo, a.k.a. The Genius, which was great because every time the talking head popped up, I'm like, huh? Remember him? Huh? Yeah. Huh? Huh? He's a handsy boy. Isn't he? You, you saw him on How To Perfect when he did about Kurt Hennig. Yeah. And I think you were, in, you were a fan of the fact that he wore robes and spoke in rhymes. Yes, I think he's very silly. He is a very silly one. Macho Man's brother. How Macho about Man's that? Macho Man's brother, yeah. Pretty amazing. Very amazing. Very interesting, though, that they kind of... In this documentary, oftentimes it can be quite one-sided. And also, honestly, particularly if the person has passed away, mm. it will always be... Just one side of the story, which is usually the positive side. And I must admit, I was impressed with this documentary in that while it was very much celebratory of Randy's career, they did address some of maybe his demons and some of the kind of grey areas with some rebuttals in there along the way from the genius who was like, Macho Man never could do anything wrong for he is my brother and that is my song. (laughs) My surprising take of this episode is I'm glad they included Hulk Hogan on the documentary. Yeah. Because 
like okay i hate hulk hogan yeah. i hate hulk hogan but i do think it's really important to get both sides of every story <laughs> i'd say i'd love that if that was the promo for wrestlemania 5 yeah. like i hate hulk hogan all right i hate, I hate hulk, hulk hogan, hogan. <laughs> wrestlemania 5 coming this sunday <laughs> but like having hulk hogan in there it allowed to hear the kind of the other side of some of the bits that went on because yeah. Randy's brother obviously loves him to death is never going to say a bad word about him yeah he, and will go out of his way to deconstruct any criticism of yeah. Randy valid or otherwise yeah I think so I think it's good that you had then the other side of this which is Hulk Hogan who obviously hated him but mm. isn't going to say that because the man's dead and Hulk Hogan wants to imply that they parted on good terms sure you did pal snake <laughs> It was really good. So yeah, they kind of opened with addressing the fact that Macho Man passed away mm. and his passing. You know, I remember it being one of the ones that really struck like a real serious chord with everyone because it was a period of time from like 2007 to 2010 when honestly the only reaction when a wrestler passed was another dead wrestler. Oh, that's you so know, sad. you've got blood in your hands, WWE, or like what a fucked up business this is. And I remember being really depressed for a while because it was like, man, wrestling is such a grim, dark place right now. And when people are passing, it's just, and it seems to be people are passing quite young. It seems to be not necessarily a celebration of their life. It's just kind of a, you know, head head down. Everyone's a bit miserable about the whole affair. So Macho Man, when he passed away, and also just judging from the messages and tweets we've gotten from people... He very much was, was realizing the, how important he was to so many people and how deeply he penetrated pop culture. Mm. I would definitely say as much as Hulk Hogan, I yes. would say. Uh, like, it surprises me that I've, I don't remember ever coming across Matcha Man. I don't remember hearing about him. I mean, 2011, I was on the internet at that mm. point, you know, in time. So I'm surprised I didn't hear about his death. I mean, you would have seen the Macho Man Randy Savage mod for Skyrim, though, surely, around that time. No. Oh, it's great. Anytime a dragon appears, it goes, ooh, yeah! And it does, does the big, crazy fire breath instead of... Uh, it's great, you know. Uh, it makes playing Skyrim truly hideous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I hadn't really heard of him. And then you showed me a bunch of different animations and things he was in and yeah. revealed that he was in Spider-Man and yeah it's, it's quite impressive how much of Macho Man I managed to just completely miss considering how huge he's been a part of pop culture the last 20 years I think a lot of people even if they wouldn't know the name would know that voice yeah it's so distinctive and he's like you know we're looking at he was on Dexter's Lab Space yeah. Ghost King of the Hill where he has the all time great line no agony no bragony yeah <laughs> So yeah, he, he definitely had a heightened awareness, I think, with the public. They talked at the start about his father. He actually comes from kind of a, a wrestling family. His father, Angelo Poffo. I think the main reason anyone knows about Angelo Poffo is because of the concerted efforts of both Randy and his brother Lanny to make sure everyone knew that they came from a wrestling yeah. family. They went out of their way to put over their dad. They are like probably the two greatest sons ever in that like the most important thing in their life was their dad and their mom and making sure they got recognition and all that. I mean, their parents sound pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, his dad seems like one of the most fucking, like, not real. There's no way he's real. <laughs> his dad held the world record for the highest number of sit-ups. Yeah. And the number is so funny. It's 6,033 sit-ups in four hours. So why did he Why did he go past the 6,000? So 6,000 was the previous held record. Right. And then everyone asked him, hey, why do you, did you keep going? Like, why didn't you just 
round up like why did you do 33 it's such a random number like is that all you could manage and he was like no 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 I did 6,000 which is I was just happy at that point to be alive and beat the record so then I decided to do one extra sit up for every year of Jesus's life (laughs) (laughs) he's a big Jesus fan he's a big fan that's how you give back push-ups for Jesus I think I can do maybe around 15 maybe 20 push-ups or sit-ups sit-ups yeah I can do 15 push-ups yeah so um Maybe I've not got enough Jesus in my heart. You need to think more about Jesus' life, I think, maybe, to give you motivation. I do 15 push-ups, one for every year of my cat, Tigger's life, who lived, in retrospect, a good long time for a cat. 15's yeah. pretty decent, like, you know. But yeah, his dad is... He sounds like a cartoon character. And also, mm. his dad is good at everything. Yeah, his dad was originally... He was in the Navy, then he was uh, an athlete, and once his kind of athletic career wound down, he got into wrestling pretty much straight away. And he would have got into wrestling at a time where kayfabe was the absolute you know utmost super important like if someone found out that wrestling wasn't real like you'd be fucking you know Mm. your legs would get broke type of thing i always think it's very interesting wrestlers from that 80s era who are second generation like jake the snake roberts also second generation they're like super kind of wired into the business because i'm sure their parents took it home with them you wouldn't i mean Who's to say if Randy and Lanny knew that wrestling was fake when they saw their dad fighting on TV? Mm. If, you know, legends are to be believed, they wouldn't have known it was fake. They would have thought their father was fighting for real. Mm. And that is obviously going to impact your viewpoint on wrestling and your dad as well. I mean, it'd be pretty fucking scary. Yeah, definitely. I get scared seeing my dad drive a car, yet alone <laughs> if he was wrestling a, a match. And his dad had a... Uh, <laughs> the way they phrase this, let me to me, it was almost definitely a racist gimmick because Jerry Lawler's like... Well, uh, their father, Angelo, when he was working in the uh, in the Memphis territories, he had kind of, um, you know, it was like a, a, a kind of a, a, a gimmick. Uh, it was just a gimmick character, a gimmick called um, the, the Miser, and he didn't like to spend a lot of money. Yeah. And straight away, I was like, hmm. <laughs> sounds... <laughs> shady, yeah. Jerry. <laughs> but, like, apparently it was based on his actual theory in life. Which he, he believed that it was better to be rich and dead than poor and alive now you and i have bonded over a mutual thriftiness yeah we're both very very frugal yeah but i don't think it's better to be rich and dead than poor and alive oh, that's I'd good i'd rather be poor and alive i'm glad because I, i'm i'm worried that if we ever struck it rich yeah then the, you'd kill me yeah. and then it would better be to like be, better yeah, to be dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why that those are the words to live by they talk about randy as a kid and he was a fidgety boy let's just say yeah having taught in the past there are certain nightmare scenarios with certain types of children and i think having a macho man randy savage aged anywhere between 8 and 16 in your class would be pretty much end times oh oh my god he just needs the right outlets you just take all you get a pencil and cut a promo and then like his pencil <laughs> sharpener and do the sharpening up the competition <laughs> yeah <laughs> But Randy's original love was not wrestling. It was, in fact, baseball, where he made quite a quite a name for himself. He got to minor league baseball. You know, there was lots of interviews with his coaches and his school friends about how fucking, you know, laser-focused mm. and gifted he was. And that was kind of the thing. When he was doing baseball, there was nothing... He didn't want to talk about anything else, do anything else, hear about anything else other than baseball. I think one of the most impressive things about that kind of era is it shows that right from the ages of, like, 10 to like 18 he had such a strict regime for himself like he would be first one there in the morning and the last one to leave at night like he was every spare second he could get to practice training that's what he would be doing he took it so so seriously and he was like a 
basically wanted to be the best and yeah. was willing to work as hard as possible to become it. He's like one of the most driven people I think we've ever talked about yeah. on this. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I never get the feeling that it was again like it, you know there's a lot of people who've got you know, very impressive spectacular parents and then it kind of feels like they've got this unfair like you have to be the best mm. otherwise you're gonna let them yeah, down you're gonna live up to this shadow basically yeah whereas i never got the feeling with randy savage that he was like because he loved his parents so much i never got the feeling with him that it was like oh poor randy having to live up to those those expectations no, I think, if anything it's kind of like the opposite like he saw how awesome his dad was and how cool he could be and how he just was good at everything and i think randy was fortunate in that Similarly, he was very good at things. Yeah. But he also had been shown this ridiculous work ethic from his parents. Like his parents obviously work very, very hard. Yes. His dad, I mean, in sports especially. Yeah. Six thousand and thirty-three sit-ups in four Fucking hours. Hell. Like if you grow up with a parent like that, I think so long as they don't fuck you up, it's gonna be a good thing, right? Yeah, you'll get the positives from yeah. that, hopefully. But there is a certain intensity, I think, that comes from that. Like, Randy, he does very well in baseball, but he gets to a certain point. And, like, they say it's kind of, it's not fair in baseball because you either, either get better or you get worse as far as the, the kind of, the, the agents are concerned. And Randy wasn't due to be being better. He got a shoulder injury, so he didn't get, he got cut, essentially, like, for three times. And he was like, right, that's it. No more baseball. Now, most people, when they're shifting from career to career, they kind of, you know, leave it to one side and maybe look back on it occasionally and kind of view it positively or take what they can from it uh, do you remember what randy did when he uh, decided he was no longer doing baseball anymore yeah i think it's really healthy okay i don't for okay. the record so okay. let's uh, let's hash it out here fine so he would always carry around his baseball bats with him in a special bag which you only really do if you really take it seriously because baseball bats are heavy and there's yeah. like three or four of them in this bag and if you're like bringing your own bats as opposed to getting the ones at practice it means that you're next level yeah you've invested money and stuff into getting ones for you and everything but when he decided he was no longer going to play baseball he took his bag of bats to a tree in a field and then he smashed each one of his bats splintered them into pieces against this tree (laughs) it's like it's so it's like smashing like you know how hard you have to hit a baseball bat to get the splinter yeah Man! That's how strong he was. But imagine how cathartic that would feel. Like, if you know that that's, those bats are just going to be sitting around in your attic, yeah, you'd find true. them every couple of years and think about what could have been. It's a real final ending moment to really move yeah. past and being like, yeah, I'm going to fucking wreck it. It gets out anger, releases endorphins. It's Great for the forearms as well. The only thing I would say is maybe don't damage trees. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> Come on now, it's a tree. I don't know. It just it's for me. It struck it as kind of like you know he wouldn't have like Randy wouldn't have even thought like well I could still be involved in baseball. I could train. I could coach. I could maybe do more minor league. It's like no, but that's not him. If though. I can't be the best, I will not yeah. do it at all ever again. But I think that's okay to to know that's what you want. Yeah. Because like I'd much rather that than like I mean imagine a world now where he just settled. Yeah, that's and true. Became miserable was probably you know you know he wouldn't be happy being not the best no it would have been weird it would have been like Macho Man in like season 2 or 3 of Eastbound and Down like that would have he had gone down to Mexico playing some ball it would have been a bit, bit underwhelming for him it would I have think. been sad whereas instead he he settled up and he moved on and he wanted to be the best at his first love which was professional wrestling and it was really interesting how even though when he was in baseball they pointed out if you're in baseball you're in any sort of sport where you have to sign a contract essentially where you're on a professional level 
you will have to usually sign a clause which says you can't do any physical activity, which could which could jeopardize your career as a baseball player or whatever. But Randy was actually already, while he was under contract, wrestling out and around the Memphis area. It's so funny, the pictures they have of this. Yeah, and he wrestled under a hood as the spider, so it's no like one knew who he was. A proper mask. Yeah. And also, sorry, but that's a such forward reference through time. Yeah. To the uh, amazing human spider or whatever it is. I'm just finds. saying, yeah. I mean, Bonesaw McGraw started initially as the spider, and I think there's a lot to be said about that. What's going to happen, Joe, when the spider gets in the ring with the silliest gimmick of all, Arachnaman, uh, when the those two go toe to toe you know it's gonna be fun i hope there's some silly string involved that would be really great <laughs> it's so funny though because he's got this he must be what 17 18 he's, he's very young but he's still. very young yeah and he's got this tiny little teen boy mustache under his silly mask and he's just he's adorable he was very interesting when they were going back and all these pictures of him from like you know his, his young adult years and his late teen years he doesn't look the same in any picture twice no, he, he looks doesn't. completely different no in some pictures he looks really like dark and troubled and you see a lot of kind of pain in his eyes he looks like Jim Halpert in a few yeah, of them, straight up like uh, some of them he's like pretty hot like he looks you know fit you know yeah. you know you know hunk because I was thinking like that's a weird one to get into about his macho man of hunk. It's kind of like asking if Nick Cage is a good actor or not. It's like, yeah. well, of course he... Oh, wait. Is he or isn't is he? Is he or isn't he, Maybe you know? Maybe he's both. <laughs> so, yeah, he just looks just different constantly. And he looks so different as well as a youth than he did after his transformation. Mm, it's very interesting that as soon as you... Anytime you say anything, there's like a part of my brain where macho man promers is stored in. And when you say random words, it just fires it up. Like when you said he looks very different, straight away a voice in my head went, I'm a chameleon, yeah. Always changing. <laughs> Did he cut a promo once about being like a chameleon? Did he uh, have a chameleon with him? No, he didn't. He was just turning sure. around a lot. Like he wore a different coat as well. It was very, very, uh, very good. So yeah, something they didn't actually go into in this documentary, but I think it, it's worth mentioning. Do you remember way, 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 way back in our first episode and I told you, about how wrestling used to exist before Vince McMahon came along and uh, nationalised his, his WWE. So we had territories and stuff. Now, there is a name for wrestlers who operated outside of that territory system back in the day. If you were maybe a bit of an independent contractor who went around and put on one-off shows, these were referred to as outlaw territories or outlaw wrestlers. And Angelo and Lanny and Randy, the, the three Poffos, would have actually been considered uh, outlaw wrestlers at the time. Which, if you were an outlaw wrestler, it usually meant that you were going to put on a show which was going to upset a lot of people. In their case, upsetting the likes of Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett, who would have been owning the Memphis territory at the time. It was basically like you're taking money out of their, their pocket because you're putting on a competing wrestling show in our territory. Right. You, you outlaw, you're against the grain. So what they did instead was they actually they incorporated that into a feud and Jerry Lawler ended up like wrestling Randy Savage a lot in his early career to kind of get over as like this outsider. The pictures from that time, they've got little newspaper clippings and this <laughs> funny. Jerry Lawler looks like a ghost. <laughs> and Randy looks like a Sasquatch. Yeah, Randy changes his body immediately. There is no kind of like Oh, early days macho man. Like, yeah. as soon as he 
smashes up those baseball bats. He committed himself to changing everything about how he looked. He got into the gym and he like went from being like this kind of slender baseball figure to yeah, this. He's, you know, he's like he's proper skinny. Yeah, he's like, a real thin dude, and he's not necessarily the tallest guy in the world. No, definitely not. In fact, I would compare early Randy Savage body shape to early Seth Rollins sort of Tyler Black body yeah, shape. Yeah, definitely. Very slim, quite small completely changed his body yeah and then he grew out his hair grew out the hair grew out a beard as well which made him look like he I was just shocked to think that we were looking at some of these matches from like 81 and whatnot, where he already looked he he was the whole package he was a macho man Randy Savage straight away he had the glasses you know the colourful outfits were still you know there maybe in a different form and like he loved being on TV you could tell and that was his his medium the fact that he was able to just turn to a camera and cut a promo to tell you to watch his TV show or to go and see them live except he apparently had really bad anxiety about it you never would have known I would have known you reckon uh, yeah I reckon that's what that's that darkness I saw in his eyes behind Daddy's, those sunglasses because mm, it's like you can't think of a more confident person on the microphone than Matchman Randy Savage. That doesn't mean anything. Think of Ryan Reynolds with Deadpool. You've heard about how anxious he gets about doing Deadpool? No. So it's not just Deadpool, I say, rather. Ryan Reynolds has really bad social anxiety. Like, when he has to perform and do interviews and stuff, he gets, like, panic attacks. Yeah. And so he finds that playing in his character... like helps put on a show because it feels like it's not him then it's just him performing Mm. so he would do a lot of his interviews for Deadpool as Deadpool to help with his anxiety so I think it's a similar thing going on here I think he's putting on this Randy Savage macho man outfit and mask to kind of compensate for the fact that he was so anxious about it I mean I I suffer from anxiety and I could tell you on you know on how to wrestling and other podcasts you know, uh, I don't leave it in, but there's been a few times where we've started and I've gotten overwhelmed just by what we're, you know, it's like, I'm going to spend three hours talking about this thing and, ah, and, you know, I have to stop. And there's been a few times where we've started recording and I've had to stop and have another go at it another day as a mm-hmm. result of that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I do understand that maybe the finished product doesn't necessarily indicate levels of anxiety. And actually, they did show in this here some of his early like really early it's clearly like in his living room or whatever and he's just trying out like his catchphrases and seeing what works and he just kind of it's really interesting to see him put it all together like yeah. he's there going oh yeah oh yeah oh no dig it dig it dig it dig it dig it dig it they show a couple of clips as well of him doing more of those iconic promos he kind of does later on oh like the hogan wrestlemania 5 ones yeah, yeah the complete not a rage they show the bits that they didn't include on camera where you can kind of this is real close up on his eyes and you can see him kind of like muttering to himself that he wasn't happy with yeah, it yeah and he wants him to again. stop and oh my god so, oh, i ruined that and he's so hypercritical of himself i think like it's one of those things that are worth saying to folks out there in in podcast land um, that if you do suffer from anxiety i think a lot of people think if you suffer from anxiety that precludes you from being able to do anything where you speak or perform or anything like that. And I just think a lot of people maybe have found out that they have anxiety before they've pursued anything like that. Mm. Like, I found out I had anxiety long after I was doing shit like this. And I just want people to know out there that, yeah, probably most of the performers that you know or people who you think would never suffer from that definitely do. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot in 
the entertainment and creative industries. <laughs> yeah, I've been, you know, I've been backstage doing stand up with people who are like making good, good livings doing it, and you wouldn't know it. And it's a room full of very nervous people, and there's lots of butterflies in tummies. But you know, if you don't have those butterflies, some people say it's not even worth performing, kind yeah. of. So yeah, I think it's just worth pointing out. That even Macho Man had his issues with anxiety and that character was not something that was just always in him all along he had to work yeah and he had to fucking grind and the fact that he got it so quickly doesn't mean he didn't put work in in the first place no and i think for someone like him it's putting the work in is quite comforting i don't mm. i i tend to over prepare because of anxiety like when we yeah. go on holiday and stuff i have to set up trello boards and endless lists and plan everything your anxiety is a superpower i it think is. in certain contexts it yeah. absolutely is and i think for for Randy Savage it would have been for him I think having that element of control and being able to plan so much of it with regards to his character and his promos and mm. even his matches much to the detriment of of some of his yes. matches to in the opinion of some so yeah I don't know it's it's really interesting it's it's fascinating seeing someone as as famous and intense iconic and intense yeah. yeah to see them go through something that's so relatable i mean anxiety definitely is a great fuel for intensity because if yeah. you're fucking petrified about fucking up mm. you, that will get the next word you out do <laughs> yeah. whatever you can to avoid that yeah. situation from happening some people will freeze other people will cut a promo about reincarnation like randy savage would and being in the danger zone north of mars east of london and south of hell you know it just happens <laughs> the name macho man randy savage do you know where it came from no so Macho Man came from when he was a baseball player and he, in his own words, he's like, very passionate about my team. And if he saw anyone get in a fight, he'd like run over and just like beat the shit out of people. Like, cause wow. I don't want to see anyone on my team get hurt. Oh yeah, love to fight. Yeah. He just obviously has a fucking itch to go wild in these big yeah. bullies. So what happened then was he got his name in the paper a few times as being part of these brawls. And then someone in the stand had a big sign saying, Macho Man hit it here and had his jersey with uh, his number on it. So it was basically like almost he was kind of making fun of him a little bit that he was kind of a bit of a, like a tryhard trying to go out and fight all the time. And mm. Macho Man obviously was a, a hit at the time, the village people. So I think Macho Man's a fine name. And no one has, no one has dared use the word macho since then. Like that, that word macho in wrestling cannot be used ever again see it's an interesting one i think these days the word macho has a lot of negative associations mm. with it but I it's think. a word that you think people would use in wrestling like non-wrestling fans would use all oh, these macho wrestlers out here but in wrestling no one's going to say oh you think you're such a big macho man or what? no one will yeah. ever use no. that word it's his it's his yeah <laughs> i like that i feel he's he's controlled the dynamics of the word macho mm. which i think is a good thing because i don't like it on its own yeah what it infers absolutely <laughs> Savage, the reason he picked the name Savage, well, one was because of the actual look. He had the wild hair and the big beards. That was according to Lanny. That's why he picked the name. But Macho Man himself said that he did not want to take the Poffo name and trade off of his dad's... Massive fame. Massive. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like his dad was, you know, was a regional star, you know. He was, he was, you know, Illinois and Memphis and whatnot. But I think it's nice of him to be kind of like, I want to make it on my own. Yeah. And It's also sensible because... The surname Poffo. Macho Man Randy Poffo. Does not suit the character. Mm. 
And then the other reason he was called Savage they mentioned in the documentary was because he was influenced by like a lot of wrestlers from the... Is it the 70s or the 60s? Yeah, it was like the 60s, 70s out of kind of wild man gimmicks yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I know there were a couple of guys in there. I can't remember their names, but one of them looked almost exactly like Rusev. Yeah. Very similar. It was basically the old timey gimmick of guy from another country so therefore he can you know bite metal and go i'm not from here and they all had this big wild hair and big beard and intense yeah. eyes he said he really wants to get that intensity in his eyes and the ooh yeah came from it was like a, a, a guy in hawaii who used to like go ooh yeah like a real deep thing and then and macho was trying to imitate that but said he would ooh you know his was higher and according to lanny his brother who was like <laughs> Oh yeah, that was my idea. Like I, I told him he should try going. Oh yeah, like that guy. And then I was like, no, do it like this, not like that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and so it was born. I mean, Lanny, Lanny's interesting in this. I mean, he's. I, I, we could do a whole fucking episode just talking about like just him as a, just as a person. I even talk about his fucking wrestling career. But I was just wondering how he came off in the documentary because I've got a lot of baggage with with Lanny Poffo from interviews yeah. that he's done and various stances he's taken and a very strange meandering art of wrestling podcast appearance that kind of ruined him a bit for me and adam because we became obsessed with it but how did he come off in this documentary i thought he came off a like a bit of a dick to be honest like mm. he's obviously a very loving brother they really care about their family he cares nice. about the legacy a lot yeah yeah but there were certain moments which we'll get into later where a lot of the other people they interviewed like jerry lawler and and hogan and a couple of others had certain opinions on the way that Randy Savage dealt with his personal life mm. and his brother's response was literally no no way anyone who says that is a liar um, and if they're not lying well then they're just really mistaken they have no idea what they're talking about but either way that absolutely never ever ever happened nope 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 shut up now he doesn't want I think anything bad to come no. out about Randy which is fair because there's been a lot of like rumours and you know there's been some true truth to some rumours and there's been a lot of rumours where there's been complete bollocks which have hung over his career and I, I can understand his hypersensitivity to it. Especially considering this documentary was recorded, what, really soon after it's like Two or three death? years after his death, maybe? So, yeah. you know. So it was not just the name and the promos and the physical look that went into making Macho Man Randy Savage. What he wore was always at the forefront of that Macho Man character. And, you know, true to form, when people were tweeting in, one of the recurrent things was about his outfits. Very much reinvented themselves over the years. He's had, like, very varying looks between having the ski goggles and the long robes to wearing a little bit more, like, denim and bandana and snakeskin boots. And then there's times where he's got the, the hat with the feather in it and he's got the long tasseled coats. He's got the mm. kind of cowboy hat look. So a lot goes in there. I was wondering if you had any particular favourite Macho Man outfits or looks mm -hmm. from what we've been looking at. So my absolute favourite has got to be... There's, I don't know how iconic this was, but it was shown briefly in the documentary and I just, I'm just i a bit obsessed with this look now and yeah. I want it for myself. He was wearing a zebra print top. Yeah. Black and white zebra print with like a pair of pink shorts covered in stars. <laughs> And there was such a good outfit. It was a really good look. I think maybe he was wearing yellow boots. He was as well, yeah. He, like, clashing was not an issue for the macho man. But it's not... I mean, it's clashing, but it's really good clashing. It's not bad clashing at all. It's the type of clashing that's on trend at the moment, is it? I would call it contrasting. Ah, very, maximalism, I believe, is what Ooh. they're referring to it these days. Yeah. But I really like that look. And in terms of, like, 
gear that he wore to the ring because he obviously had some fantastic cloaks and things. Yeah, the entrance gear was always yeah. the, the highlights. My favourite one is where he wears the really shiny gold cape and he's got the sticks in his robe. Oh, so when yeah. he lifts his arms up, it looks like he's a bat. That's very, like... I know you've often brought up, like, interpretive dance and stuff mm. like that, but, like, that's really, like... That's bringing in some of, like, you know, dance and acrobatics and stage into wrestling with the kind of, you know, holding out the arms with the extended bits so you mm. can, like, basically have wings like a dragon or yeah. a bat or whatever. That's really cool. It's really cool. It's a, not a lot of people were doing that in wrestling at the time. Like, he was very much an innovator in terms of taking it to the extreme of what you could do with robes and entrance gear and stuff I like that. I not really doing that now, either. No, it's sorely missing, like, kind of over-the-top cool you get it at wrestlemania maybe someone's yeah. gonna wear a new hat or something like that another Sad. part of macho man very important the entrance with the entrance music pomp and circumstance yes. which is the graduation theme i believe they use in the u.s i didn't use it in ireland no all we had was some fucking i don't know diddly eye band playing you know chorus music i don't know what did you have did you have uh i assume it would have been hulk hogan's theme then if i watched it really <laughs> savages now. I think we had God Save the Queen. I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, God, God Save the Queen is such a fucking I don't know. intense anthem. Look, all I remember about my graduation is we were promised that John Hurt would be graduating with us. Yeah. And then he broke his leg and he didn't even show up. I mean, John Hurt usually plays as a bit of a, you know, either the villain or the goody who turns out to be the villain in the third act. And that was very much true to form for, for John Hurt. They had a dedicated 20 minutes at our graduation with like, and now John Hurt will give his graduation speech. And... Instead, we just got just real American on loop for four <laughs> minutes. Like, nah, 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 nah. he's not coming. The moves of Macho Man Randy Savage as well. So he did a lot of high flying for the time. And honestly, it's a difficulty, and something I always worry about when I show you wrestlers from this era because I know you're a big fan of your fifty do's, your top spots, yeah, your high flying. And then I kind of show you someone who, like, in the 1980s, they were considered to be a high flyer. Which, obviously, they're not doing springboards and 450s. You know, it's not ricochet. It's not, you know, it's not this crazy acrobatics. But still known as a high flyer. And I was just wondering, from the few matches we saw, what your take was on Macho Man's style. If you were a fan of what he did in the ring and his moves and his dives and his elbows and whatnot. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah? Yeah. Would you say, I mean, it's weird, I'm, I'm kind of like half expecting you to think he's not impressive because he's high-flying but not doing moonsaults and stuff like that. No, because I understand that wrestling has evolved over the years and moves like that didn't, like, wrestling just wasn't like that then. So mm. it would be very weird if suddenly then he was doing NXT-style, like, flip so map-based wrestling, like, pulling on the, working the finger and stuff, <laughs> like... No, he's really impressive, but I'd say he's impressive because of the fact that he's doing all these flips and he's doing it in an era where it's like, what, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and people who mm. tend to do more kind of either psychological or showmanship yeah. or like Jerry Lawler again, who they don't do much, but they're quite good at doing not very much. It's interesting because seeing he's such an over-the-top character that yeah. actually... He almost well, doesn't need to. Yeah, he doesn't like spend a lot of the match taunting or mm. dancing or doing like, he doesn't mouth off or stuff like I that. I wish he would. Yeah, with I that really voice. Do. Yeah. Come on, they should and with have that brain, oh, I would love to have heard what kind of in-ring taunts he could come up with. But I think the most impressive thing is the fact that his body shape mm. is like the opposite of what you'd imagine someone 
who can do that kind of flippy style of wrestling. Yeah, the fact that he can like jump over the top rope with like with no sweat, like one swoop, like he he is very cat-like in the yeah. way that he moves around the ring. And it's very interesting because they were pointing out at one at one point in the documentary that you know Randy wasn't a particularly large man. Yeah, they interview you know? the guy who designed all his outfits. Yeah. He had a really close relationship with his costume designer, which is awesome. I wish more wrestling would talk about that. I would love a podcast where they talk to costume yeah. designers. Because I know Ric Flair had, he had a, a a lady who made all of his robes. She made every robe for him for like the bulk of his career. Wow. So like, and Hogan, I know, has a guy who does like all of his boots and all of his sweat. Like a lot of people have this personal one-on-one yeah. relationship. All the top people anyway, it seems. And so his clothing designer is great. They got got to see all the 50 different types of sunglasses that were designed for Randy Savage. All of them are awesome, by the way. And yeah, he says that Randy Savage came to him and said, look, I'm I'm not a big guy. I'm I'm quite small compared to the people I'm out there with. Can you imagine how fucking difficult it must have been for Randy Savage to say the phrase, I'm not a big man? Like, just to be, I'm not particularly tall or big. Like, to admit that. I mean, but it's true. I know, but you... You hear all the stories about how paranoid he is and how, yeah. like, you know... Honestly, when we went into this documentary and you asked me how tall is Randy Savage, I would have said 6'4", like, yeah, easily. Same. I thought you know. he was really tall. Not quite as tall as me. Turns out he's not <laughs> even six foot. Yeah, if that. But he doesn't... He looks He looks tall. He definitely looks taller than six foot. Oh, yeah. Because of his body shape. He's hugely muscular. He really has. He transformed himself. And I think when you grow up and you're very small... And then it's only when you reach adulthood and you have to put a lot of hard work in to change your body shape. I think there's still a part of you that kind of thinks of yourself as a smaller than you are. Yeah. And I think that worked to his advantage because I know he's a bit paranoid as well. Mm. It meant that he really felt like he had to overcompensate. Yeah. And he's not wrong. This is wrestling. It worked. It worked. I yeah. mean, I was fooled for 20 years. <laughs> so that's got to count for something. But what I thought was most interesting about the, the height thing mm. was the fact that they pointed out that he compensated for the fact that he was a little bit shorter than other wrestlers by wrestling on tiptoes yeah i couldn't believe that isn't that amazing I, all the matches we watched then i was staring at his feet honestly <laughs> it was like i had some new fetish i was like <laughs> macho man feet tiptoes dainty twinkly feet <laughs> and it's gonna happen like you know it's getting there all the jobber stuff like yeah. we've ruined our search history like the, the youtube the shared youtube account has gone to a pot like but yeah he is moving around in the ring you know i always said you know he's very kind of like i said cat like the way he kind yeah. of he almost like pounces around the ring he, he bounces almost and he lands on his feet he's very graceful there's no big like splat ever no, he's super nimble it's because he's on tiptoes like all the time most of the time and when he's not on tiptoes keep an eye out because a lot of his shoes i noticed have yes platforms. big lifts in them yeah they, they're heels basically it happens which... a lot of wrestling kane had big lifts in his shoes as well to make him taller but kane's was slightly different because kane's were platforms the whole length of the foot yeah which is flat it means right. he's got a nice even surface to wrestle on macho man randy savage his were healed oh, which shit. means he's wrestling in heels that's really difficult that's fucking hell i mean knowing what he does like the many times he jumps from in the ring to outside yeah. and lands on the apron that's like his or jumps off the top rope to the outside and lands on his feet <laughs> which you know what in fairness and i i think maybe i got maybe i preempted it was a bit over worried about you know oh him not appearing as impressive but you know the fucking 80s look at the, the wrestlers from around this time we've looked at you know hogan and mr perfect and whatnot even mr perfect wasn't jumping off the top rope no, God, to, no. to the outside and landing on his feet and hitting the barricade and stuff and randy was doing that all the time yeah which is really innovative so we had all these different kind of parts coming into play and obviously the character when he debuted in the wwf 
it was the perfect place for him to be because Vince McMahon was launching things like TNT, Tuesday Night Titans, where he wanted to do like a chat show and do lots of backstage segments and interviews and I silly love things. That. God, it makes me wish wrestling was more like that today. Is it the first time we watched t- any of Tuesday Night Titans then, I think? I don't know, but was there any on Roddy Pipes episode? I think, yeah, there was him coming out in his kilt and having to, to talk about it not being addressed right, and yeah. whatnot. But yeah, Randy, we watched, a lot of people recommended this one. I'm very happy they did. It's one of my favourite weird Macho Man segments, which is Macho Man on the psychologist's couch just to kind of get into the mind of Macho Man Randy Savage. Just do word association. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do a word association game. He's like, game, I'm going to win. I always win games. I'm going to beat you, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you, what word do you think of when I think of the, when I say the words, macho, macho, macho man, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Uh, the word chump. Chump, Hulk Hogan. He's a chump, <laughs> chump, yeah. And it just, so much of it is clearly off the cuff. Mm. I think if he went, even though Randy likes to prepare meticulously, I think if he was given a script, it would never have worked for him. I think the fact that it's just that... So you don't think he would have been given a script? I think he would have been given talking points, but I think Randy would have just been, like, let loose. See, know? I part of me wonders if, you know, even if he was only given some talking points, knowing how obsessive he was about controlling things, mm. I wonder if then he went off and just privately had his own yeah. meticulously planned script. Because I remember you said that... He would spend on any time off he had between like matches and shows and stuff. He would be off at the library researching, yep. reading as much as possible, so he could be like intelligent and give these really nuanced metaphorical promos. Yeah, he, he honestly he was one of those guys who always tried to like add to the verbiage. And I mean, that was I mean for for wrestling fans, you wouldn't you weren't hearing that at the time. You were hearing like bah, 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 I'm going to beat you on Sunday, or like you're you're a piece of trash, or drink your milk. Yeah, or, yeah, really kind of cartoony <laughs> stuff. I mean, but like, obviously Macho Man is, is a cartoon character, but, like, to this day, the things that he says in promos, there's never been anything like it before and since. Now, I know Otis Dotovic is someone who you're a big fan of. He totally reminds me of Macho Man. Very, very obviously inspired yeah. by it, particularly in the, the promos. Now, there's something which I think I've just popped into my head there and I think a lot of people maybe don't give it credit but um, Botchamania which is a long running video series from Matthew where he looks at all the mistakes that are made in wrestling set to music but he for a long period of time when I first started watching those he would start each one with just a little macho man soundbite and I think for a lot of people that was like at the start of YouTube it was a reintroduction to well, what he said was, you know, like random things that Randy would say, like, I'm curious, like the cat that's been killed, ah, the curiosity. And he would come out with these phrases and words that people weren't using. And yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why he stuck around in people's minds so much. I remember a lot of wrestling promos, but I think in terms of actual words and phrases, Macho Man is probably the one that I remember the most, even though I didn't grow up as a Macho Man fan and... I didn't watch any of the stuff until I was into my 20s. Mm. So, yeah, definitely something going from there. Yeah. Another important part of the Macho Man formula, and someone who we, I don't think you ever heard of before and got to see any of, uh, Miss Elizabeth. I mean, I think she was in the background once or twice and other things we've watched and I asked, you know, who's that? And you said, that's Miss Elizabeth. And I know she appeared in our live show episode, How to ah, yes. Couples. Where I tried very desperately to put over the Macho Man Elizabeth love story and I don't think I really had laid the groundwork sufficiently at that point. <laughs> no, maybe not. How would you describe Miss Elizabeth? She's basically Princess Diana of wrestling. <laughs> Why? <laughs> she... Princess Princess Diana. Yeah. That, that's, that's a very emotive Yeah, that's a very deliberate title. choice of words, yeah. So why, why would you say Princess Diana? Because 
oh god there's just too many similarities really so for one she was one of the few women of wrestling at the time very in wwf particularly i mean she was like the woman yeah. of wrestling she was she was called the first lady of wrestling right it's funny because in wwf she was probably like the first lady in wrestling yeah <laughs> she always wears these really beautiful like ball gowns very fancy elegant dresses beautiful jewelry her hair is always done like meticulously i mean it's it's 80s so it's awful yeah the, the the big the big hair with the curls like you know <laughs> but for the time very on trend and there's just something about her that's very it's kind of a, a quiet sadness that's just inside you can just kind of tell that there's something in there that's a bit deeper than she'd ever let on still waters run deep as bobby heenan said yeah. about her because they they talked to a lot of people in this documentary and everyone everyone had nothing bad to say about her to say like they how great her. she was and i think dolph ziggler like they had talked to him because oh, he would have been a, so in love with he her. clearly like he was the kid in love yeah. with her and he's like he's she's the girl that you want to like go to prom with yeah. and like have a dance with you know it's that real like and for a lot of people i think their first crush in wrestling yeah. was, was miss elizabeth and the pairing of that so wild funny. macho man with the very quiet and pensive and thoughtful and peaceful Miss Elizabeth. It worked on so many levels. When Macho Man was a bad guy and she was kind of the face, you know, he had something to be paranoid about. And like, are they cheering for Elizabeth? Are they cheering for me? You know, he would get all wrapped up in his head. When he was a good guy, it was like he was the the you know the, he was the the brave knight, and she was like his his princess. He wanted to protect against all the horrible things in the world around him. It always kind of worked. You went with Princess Diana. I I was going with a much sillier, much uh, less sad, which was she's the princess toadstool of the World Wrestling Federation. Dear Macho, please come to Madison Square Garden. I baked a cake for you. Oh yeah! Blah, blah, blah. And comes out and gets it. She's very. She's tiny. She is. That actually helped a lot as well because she made him look bigger. Yes, definitely. They wanted to originally put him with a woman called Missy Hyatt, who was a very tall blonde lady. Mm. And Macho Man, who was seeing Elizabeth in real life at the time, was kind of like, you know, why can we get her it's a job? It's really cute. He goes to like the boardroom of execs or whoever is at this point in Vince, time. basically, Vince, and basically. his mates. Yeah, and his gross mates. And he goes... <laughs> Look, I've got I've got this girl. She may not be blonde. She may not be, you know, the most beautiful woman in the world, but she's really pretty and I really like her and I just wonder if you'd be up for giving her a screen test. And they bring her in. <laughs> and you can't believe he's going like, "Oh, she's not the most beautiful woman. She's like stunning." She's yeah. rich. everyone says how pretty she is. Like she obviously is. She's not a type of woman that looks like she knows she's beautiful there's something about her which is very modest and very likable and there's also a look with elizabeth always where she doesn't quite understand what all this is yeah, about like you, you said it was like deer in a head in headlights yeah I, I, that makes her feel like she's completely powerless over a situation it's more like the best mom in the world bringing her obsessive twin boys to go see wrestling live and can see that they're really enjoying it but it's not necessarily for her. But like, wow, look at all these people. You're having a good time. Mm. And she kind of I always felt that with her. That it was kind of like, she didn't necessarily get this world. Yeah. But she saw how important it was to Randy. Yeah. And saw how happy it made him. And how intensely he loved it. So I was like, okay, I understand. I'll be here for you and your yeah. weird hot dog friends. It's okay. I really like Miss Elizabeth. Mm. I, I really, really like her. She definitely adds a special X something to 
Macho Man Randy Savage yeah. whole thing. I think it's safe to say if it wasn't for Elizabeth, Macho Man would not necessarily be remembered in the same way that he was. It's such an odd pairing as well. Like, the fact that they were actually together in real life is so bizarre to me. I mean, it was definitely very unique at the time because they were talking with people like Bret Hart, who was like, you know, he was saying how homesick he was and how jealous he was of Randy that yeah. he got to travel on the road with his wife. And how a lot of the wrestlers were kind of like, wow, you know, a woman backstage at these events, hubba hubba. And I think you can probably see where that's going in terms of Randy not wanting his personal life to mix with his business life, but his personal life is core to his business life. That is his character and his gimmick is is Miss Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. I showed Joe the great segment where they debuted Miss Elizabeth, which has all the managers like Bobby Heenan and Mr. Fuji and Slick, they all want Macho Man to be their client. And he's like, oh, there's only one person for the Macho Man. And out comes Elizabeth for the first time, where Vince McMahon is like, whoa, take a look at that. It's like a full minute of now. It's like two minutes. Wow. Wow, wee. Yikes. Yeah, hamma, hamma. It's just, it goes off. By the end of it, I'm like, all right, just get rid of Elizabeth because I don't want to hear him anymore. Like, you know fuck it like yeah she's beautiful whatever oh, like. poor elizabeth <laughs> so match man skyrocketed quite quickly in the world wrestling federation as part of the big boom in the mid to late 80s along with the likes of hulk hogan and roddy piper and whatnot when hogan was you know on top with piper up in the mid card in the intercontinental scene that's where randy savage was slowly rising the ranks and he became intercontinental champion in around 1984 Five, I believe he beat Tito Santana for it and the whole story was that he was this heel egomaniac who had held this belt which was more important to him than anything in the world including his beautiful wife Elizabeth who he was constantly paranoid the fans cared more about than him and that is a story which has been repeated over and over and over in wrestling where you've got the male who is paranoid that the fans care for the woman more than him. They did it with Rusev and Lana. Have they ever done it the other way around? Where you have a woman who is annoyed about the man getting old. I don't think that they have. If we were in in wrestling, yeah. that would be my character. <laughs> I'd be like, you sexist pigs. You fucking sexist wrestling fans. Of course you only care about my male partner. Yeah, and I'd be there like with a low cut top yeah. kind of looking ashamed. Like, but everyone would be like, yeah, we love you, Kevin. <laughs> crying yeah exactly and then you make me wear a potato sack like mark merrow did Don't Sable, look at him. you know he's mine to objectify and mine alone <laughs> <laughs> this is great i've written down here it looks like it's something from trailer park boys wrote down randy versus ricky but is <laughs> it is an actual fact the most requested match for this podcast and often touted i'm not gonna say often frequently almost always touted and if you say anything else is the greatest match of all time someone will come and say well actually Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat WrestleMania 3 for the Intercontinental Championship is one of the greatest matches if not the greatest match of all time it's certainly Ricky Steamboat's favourite match he started crying when he talked about it this was so annoying because we were watching this and then I'm like right we'll, we'll pop in the matches then along the way and I'm like don't anyone fucking put this on a pedestal now because anytime this happens, Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon, I'm, lo- I'm looking <laughs> at me in the mirror here. You did this. Anytime anything gets put up on that shelf, on that pedestal, yeah, 
It always comes back to bite us in the rear end. And then Ricky Steamboat, like a fucking putz, starts bawling his eyes out about how beautiful the match is and how fucking special it was. I'm like, Ricky, I'm fucking trying to, I'm trying to help you here, mate. They ask him at one point, they're like, if, if Randy Savage was still alive, what would you want to talk to him about? And he starts tearing up again and he goes, I just want to talk to him about that match. For fuck's sake! <laughs> sweet. Alright, I can now to reveal to you my other favourite sweet moment about this. Chris Jericho, when he was a kid, him and his best friend, what they used to do when they played wrestling. They didn't invent their own characters, they didn't do their own matches. They rehearsed Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat, and they would do that match, him and his friend. And they would say, right, who gets to be Ricky and who gets to be Randy? And they would do the whole thing. Wow, they could have really benefited from the uh, ten pages of notes that they had when meticulously planning every single move. Yeah, do you want to enlighten people about Randy Savage's approach to professional wrestling matches? So, if you've listened to our episode on DDP, you'll know that there are sometimes wrestlers who like to have a bit too much control i'd say on exactly what happens within a match Mm. now normally in wrestling there are certain big spots which are sort of planned beforehand and everyone knows to expect and then the rest of it's kind of like a impromptu basis i think what you're saying there joe is you like to go in with kind of like a fish bone type skeleton right there and uh, along the road as it were uh, be that as it may it will be what it will be and then it will become what it was what it was thank you stone cold for your input <laughs> and they basically like go with the flow then. Yeah. But not Macho Man Randy Savage. No. He was way too obsessed with planning and organizing and he wanted to know exactly move for move what would happen in any match that he was in. It's very understandable why you'd want to do that. I mean, you know, me and Billy ran a comedy society in Lincoln and we would help people doing stand-up comedy for the first time ever. And one of the biggest hurdles we always had with people who would literally write it word for word, they write like a three-page essay. Like there's a guy who used to have a three-page essay on his phone and it's like 10,000 words. He's mm. scrolling through it trying to learn it off. I'm like, You're, it's not going to work because you need to be able to feel the room and feel what's happening and change it. And like, I know why you want to do that because you want to have your belt and braces. It's why every single word of this podcast is 100% scripted. Yeah. All 268 hours of podcasts I've done, every single word has been written. Do you think I could think this up off the back of my head? The back of my... Go back ha- a page. Shit. You've lost do, your place now. do you think I could make this up off the back of my hand? Now, the writing isn't always the best, admittedly, <laughs> but, you know, I understand where you're coming from there, you know? <laughs> Why might that rub some wrestlers the wrong way, do you think? Because it's not it's not really the right way to do it. Mm. Like, that's my opinion. I don't know. <laughs> With it's several just... years in the business, that is our concerted yeah. opinion. I am an expert now. I'm a professional <laughs> wrestler. But no, I mean, I think an element of planning is great. Mm. But the notes for this match, it, it is ludicrous. He had, what, over 100 moves planned? And it's yeah. a list. It's numbered. One, two, three, four, five, six. All the way down. There's individual moves, reversals, missed moves that are supposed to look like they hit and they don't. It's, it is ridiculous. There's too much planning there. And I just think that's too much for a person to expect to be, like, just remember all that. I think the one thing about planning is that, like, if it goes according to plan. Great. It's great. But you know Randy Savage, if you're in there and it's like, wait a minute, you you missed item number 27. You weren't meant to roll me up, you were meant to cradle me. And, mm-hmm. you know, where does he go then? How do you communicate in the match? Okay, we're going to go back five steps and then just, you know, all of a sudden it comes apart. Yeah. A lot of people said that they had very negative experiences with Randy because when it didn't go according to the plan, 
that he was it then. Would, yeah, it just melt down. It'd yeah. fall to pieces. And he would have sometimes some stinky matches. There was one case when he wrestled Ric Flair. And we'll be looking at a Ric Flair match later. But there was one time he wrestled Ric Flair. They were taping for, for a video or a TV. And like literally the match had fallen to pieces because Rick didn't want to follow his script and Randy didn't know what was going on. And Vince literally sent out Bobby Heenan just to go, wrap it up, guys, just leave. And they Jeez. had to stop wrestling and leave the ring and then go out and do it again an hour later. Like they, they It's like, you know what you're doing? Like a, like a mini game in a Mario Party. It's like, sorry, you didn't do it. You didn't meet the criteria. Yeah, you know, next battle, next time. Like, yeah. ooh, I missed you. You know, See, it's... I met more of the Bob Ross kind of attitude. Like, I yeah. think, you know, mistakes are just happy accidents. I think sometimes some of the most magical moments in anything, I don't just think in wrestling. I mm. think any creative industry that exists, I think occasional mistakes can actually work out for the better. And I think you can learn a lot from them. Yeah, and like, even... Like, the fans reacting to something differently, which could be perceived as a mistake. You know, we did Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin way, way back in one of our first episodes. You know, that match started with one guy being a good guy, one guy being a bad guy. But the way the crowd reacted, it ended up that they changed the story to being, okay, now Bret's the bad guy and Steve's the good guy. Imagine how crap that match would have been if they'd <laughs> yeah. both been like, no, just end the match, going <laughs> home. <laughs> and a victorious, heroic Bret Hart standing over the battered and bloody <laughs> corpse of the villainous rogue Stone Cold. Yeah. He got what was coming to him. Steve Austin was too cowardly to give <laughs> up. Instead, he passed out like a freak. I think in wrestling, you should have more of a Stuart Lee attitude. Which is, yeah, okay, you can have your plan, mm. but if it doesn't go to plan, or if it sounds like maybe the plan isn't working, you've got to be able to adapt it mm. and learn from that. Knowing this, though, now, because I first watched this match, I remember I bought the WrestleMania anthology when I was, like, 18 years old. I'd saved up all, like, all summer long in my part-time job to get this 300-pound fucking 300-disc monstrosity. Aww. And it was the great... Honestly, if I didn't get that, there wouldn't be no podcast empire right now. Honestly, it, it helped me so much in, like, wow. getting a baseline for the other eras. Because I hadn't watched any real wrestling outside of my era. Shame you couldn't claim tax back on that, Oh, eh? dang, I should have kept my receipts from yeah. 2005. <laughs> the first thing I did when I got that was I found WrestleMania 3 and I put on that match. Because everyone was saying what a great match it was always and I never got to see it. And I remember being blown away by it because of the pace and the fluidity and how fast it was. And there were things like someone punching full force, but someone ducking and looking like if he didn't duck at that split second, he would have fucking smashed him in the face. And to fact now knowing that it's planned, this is the first time I really watched it with the kind of, all right, this is planned now, is it? And it actually, in a way, I don't know, it made it a very interesting watch. It makes it more impressive in a way that this is yes. all planned. I don't think I would have actually enjoyed this match that much had I watched it without knowing how planned it was. Because really? for me, all of the appreciation came from, oh wow, that was planned and 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 that was planned. Because they do like 10 things in a row. It's like arm drag, arm drag, hip toss, flip over, roll up, roll up. They do like 20 roll ups in a row at you one point. You can easily imagine meticulously planning a match if most of that match is like headlocks. Yeah, but it's but not. It's not. <laughs> it, this is... Very much like, you remember we saw that match with Ric Flair and Sting? Yeah. Where it was, they didn't do a whole lot in terms of maybe there was a dozen moves in there. Mm. But they were doing them so fast and they were running at each other hell for leather. But I felt you can only do that if it's on the fly. I didn't think you could plan that type of a pace and that type of a frenzy. It's so fucking good. And there's a lot to be said about watching wrestling in the early 80s. A.K.A. the time when America was so sweet and innocent that the idea of like the wrestler they like getting punched was enough to make everyone go, ah! Ricky Steamboat got hit! Ah! 
I can't believe that emotion. Yeah. I don't, will we ever get that again in wrestling? I think we will if we manage to shift the mainstream part of the audience away from middle-aged white men. <laughs> because I think, you know, most men don't want to be emotional. We need more kids in the audience. Is basically, and more women. Yeah. I think more people in general who are, you know, free to express a variety of emotions other than anger. I'm, I'm okay to cry at wrestling now. I'm officially at that point Good. as a 30-year-old man. Everyone should... I, I mean, I got that happened. That was my first ever Bailey match made me cry. Yeah, it was me. It was Rusev at last WrestleMania when I thought he was gone. So, uh... Can't believe I lost my wrestling tears before you did. I know. What's that? That says a lot, doesn't it? I got. I'm. I'm backlogged here. I've got like fucking twenty something years of repressed Toxic wrestling. Emo- yeah, seriously, <laughs> if I see Jeff Hardy climb that ladder one more time, I'm gonna have a breakdown. Basically, I think. So we have a lot of roll-ups. We have a lot of crazy fast-paced arm drags and deep hip tosses. You've got a lot of like Randy being very frantic on offense, like where he thinks he's got somebody like run to the top rope and dive off and scramble over and try to do another move the big elbow hits from randy savage but the referee is knocked out now i want to talk about that beautiful diving elbow drop it is lovely isn't it a thing of beauty oh man i kind of wish i could do that onto our big bed we just need a big ring corner to stand on oh speaking of the elbow drop honestly i think the most impressive thing about that Mm. isn't even the elbow drop it's, as you pointed out when we were watching a couple of matches, it's the fact that he stands on the top rope in the corner of the ring. Stood up perfectly straight. Perfectly like. straight. He's a massive, muscular man. And he lifts both hands above his head and just holds it there for like three seconds he before diving. He stretches him out as tall as possible, essentially. And he's on like his tiptoes as well, of yeah. course. And then he does from that. It's beautiful. It's, it's like a... Like a, a swimmer di- dive yeah. or something, a swim dive or something like that, and that he changes his shape perfectly, perfect form. I reckon low key, that's one of the hardest things to do in wrestling. It is because the core strength you'd need. It looks, I'm sure it looks a hundred times easier than it is. I remember after Macho Man passed that CM Punk started doing a tribute to, to Randy Savage in his match. He would start doing the elbow, and his elbow looked fucking hideous. It was such an ugly elbow that he would do. But he would, you know, at the start, when he first started doing it, he tried to do the double point up, and you could see the, the knees shaking and the mm-hmm. wobbling, because it's, it's fucking hard. It's hard to do that standing up, yet yeah. alone. <laughs> we've been doing uh, DDP yoga again recently, and we've been doing stand-up to strengthen our knee stabilizers, and there's a move in there called the lightning bolt, where you have to, like go from oh no it's not called the lightning bolt what's it called the the diamond cutter squat thrust yeah there's a move in there called the diamond cutter squat thrust where you like have to go from squatting position with your arms above your head and then and raise then up like. raise up which is basically what randy savage does on the top of the rope <laughs> in the corner on two wobbly ropes that yeah. are probably covered in on sweat tiptoes. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> We have George the Animal Steel interfering uh, here as Randy attempts to grab the ring bell because Randy had used the ring bell to kill Ricky Steamboat by diving on him and uh, smashing the elbow into his throat, which was a very nasty thing. So George the Animal Steel stops Randy from using the bell in a nefarious manner and then we get a quick roll-up and like the beauty of this is there's like so many roll-ups in this match you think anyone could be the finish and that is the one finally where Ricky Steamboat manages to pin Macho Man Randy Savage. It is a match which... When they're talking in the documentary, they said that everyone was glued to the monitor backstage. All the wrestlers were, were crowding around watching it. And that it was, this was a genre breaking. No one had seen a match like this on this big of a stage before. And many people think that this was the kind of, started to sow the seeds of maybe the future of wrestling isn't just 
big lumbering guys doing taunts and leg drops. And maybe it could be that athleticism has a place in the World Wrestling Federation. It's really interesting to me that Macho Man seems almost very influenced by like Japanese and Mexican style wrestling mm. in that he's doing all these kind of flip de doo moves yeah. and a lot of top spots and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yet he didn't have a past wrestling in any of those countries. No, in fact, his background's straight. in baseball. So. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of high flying going on in baseball usually. Like. Yeah, it's, I just think it's quite interesting that a lot of episodes we've done where they've displayed quite innovative moves it turns out oh they went to japan or mexico and they just nicked the moves yeah. from someone else who did it before them. <laughs> but it seems that macho man just kind of invented these things i'm very 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 intrigued to know what you thought of this match and what your star rating was no pressure but ricky steamboat will cry if you don't say it's the most beautiful match of all time god damn that's a lot of pressure i knew i told you it's not me it's him <laughs> it's not fair i liked it I gave it three stars, which I feel is people are going to think is harsh, but it was a good match. But honestly, it wasn't anything that amazing to me as a modern fan, mm. having seen everything else. And the most impressive thing was that I knew everything had been planned. Yes. Which to me makes it more difficult to <laughs> yeah. do. But I really enjoyed it. They came out to the ring. I forgot to mention this. Oh, yeah. In rings? Like oh, yeah, in a wrestling rings. ring? Yeah, like, like Hogan and Andre came out. It's the same pay-per-view. <laughs> the thing, so this is the same pay-per-view where that's just a match and the main event was Hogan and Andre. <laughs> so funny it's so funny to think of isn't it hogan must have been fuming can you imagine how angry he'd have been to have to follow up that it's funny because like you know all that the the, the mainstream were talking about at the end of that night was hogan slammed under the giant can you believe it but all the wrestling nerds and all the people who had observer subscriptions and whatnot all they were talking about and all the wrestlers yeah they were talking about randy savage and ricky steamboat but there's something a little bit about the start of it that, you, you know, you talking about them at their entrances reminded me. There's a lot to be said for the way this match is introduced, where they show you just, here's why they're fighting, and then it cuts to a fucking kick-ass promo from Macho Man Randy Savage. Then he comes out to his music, you get to see him and Elizabeth and him being all paranoid and just sets the scene beautifully. And then we cut to Ricky Steamboat, who cuts a fucking beautifully intense promo. The editing is great as well. The yeah. camera work, they're really close Come down his Come right eyes. in on him. Yeah. Right as his music starting to play. It's really intense. Yeah, I love how they fade in the music with the promos. And there's just something about that. It, I, it's giving me goosebumps now just talking about it. But that, just setting it up as, here's these two people, they're fighting, here's why. And you give them that little bit of time to say their character. And I think, honestly, without those promos, I don't know if I like this match as much. I just get into that goosebumpy, happy place mm. as soon as I hear those promos. I'm like, oh yeah, here we are. It's WrestleMania 3. I really do feel like this era of wrestling is the golden era in terms of promos and backstage interviews. Yeah. Like they have never gotten it more right than right this time. Yeah, because this was when the WWF had just started and they were relying on the stars that they had poached to get the product over. Where now it's different, where it's like, we're the product and you need to do our things to get us over. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to say these things. It's not necessarily about your character and your history and your abilities. It's about you fitting into what we want you to yeah, do. Yeah, make sure you get across our brand message. Yeah. Promote our social channels and bloody blue And you compare modern backstage interviews, which I find, oh, they're just 
skin crawlingly awkward most very of cringy more oh, often than yeah. not like if it, it's funny <laughs> we do obviously the pay-per-view reviews for our patreon we get access to we've been doing it since 2015 now every month we do a pay-per-view review and like very often when we are like really amazed by a particular promo it's just because it's not cringy yeah it's like wow shinsuke and aj and Paige did a backstage interview and i've not my skin is still on my body it's not crawling <laughs> off what a great fucking promo that was whereas like both the promos for this match, there was such a confidence from both of them. They, Ricky and Randy both know exactly what they're here to yeah. say, what they're going to get across, who they are. They, there's no awkwardness at all. And with the interviewers as well, I feel like these days it's a bit more awkward and the interviewers maybe aren't empowered enough to be able to ask questions back. I think with the exception of Renee, mm. who really gets it. But like, you look at Mean Gene, he's got such a natural charisma with so many of the rest just some one raised eyebrow from him when macho man is doing his promo is enough like he's not afraid to like make fun of them and if they do something weird like macho man does weird stuff all the time (laughs) you've constantly got mean gene going what's that there stop it he stuck his tongue out like what was that explain yourself (laughs) i was like it was too quick you couldn't see it was faster than the human eye stop it right away please (laughs) i love mean gene yeah mean gene is great honestly and this is what's great about doing wrestling from this era is that you get to see mean gene who if you don't know is what my dad looks like yeah Yeah. he's pretty much your dad (laughs) so wrestlemania 4 the following year had macho man randy savage he turned face at this point and he won the WWF Championship. It was the first time in like five years, I think, that someone other than Hulk Hogan was the champion. Now, just saying that sentence out loud makes you kind of also almost immediately understand that Hogan will never have a perfectly good relationship with Matchman because he was the guy who was the first person in five years to say, actually, no, that's enough of you for now. Let's try him because he's quite good. Mm-hmm. And you know he doesn't like that. No, he hates that. Anyone who's knocked him off that perch at all is always going to be the person who he thinks has got some sort of issue or something weird. And Hogan's very particular in his words in this documentary. Oh yeah, he's very careful about what he says. He doesn't ever, ever like outright lie. I don't think he oversteps his bounds completely, but he's fucking. He's, but that's Hogan. He's right on the edge yeah, all the time. He's walking a tightrope totally. And there's a certain thing that Hogan does. People point today that World War Three and WCW was an example, and WrestleMania Four is another example where Hogan kind of inserts himself into a lot of the Macho Man's kind of biggest moments, like Macho Man main events WrestleMania Four. But the real story of that is, of course, that Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant are on the outside. Macho Man gets the belt, he holds it up, but Hulk Hogan's there pointing at him in front, like like he's in the foreground in the middle of the camera, mm-hmm. winning Slapperazzi, pointing at Macho Man with a big thumbs up, saying <laughs> it's okay, kids, because Hogan says he's all right. He's done that multiple times throughout not just Macho Man's career, but a lot of other people's career. Mm. And you take into account, you know, most people have got an ego in wrestling. Randy Savage is no exception. But the paranoia along with that as well. And also then the fact that they brought those two together at the height of that paranoia to form a tag team called the Mega Year, the Mega Year, the Mega Powers Year. You say about... Macho Man's ego. And mm. yeah, okay, he definitely has an ego. But you know what? I, I wonder if part of the reason he and Hulk Hogan didn't see eye to eye to such an extent is that it's very clear to me that to Macho Man, it's very important to him that wrestling is his like first love. And yeah, wrestling first, yeah. then him second. And it's about the story and the characters. It's not about egos. It's not about you. It's about 
the, the audience and what's best for them. And he is never afraid to put someone over. Oh, like he that, loves to lose, does Randy yeah, Savage. That match with Ricky Steamboat, he said it was his idea to, to lose to Ricky. And yeah. He wanted to do it. He wanted to put him over. Same when he wrestled Diamond Dallas Page, and that was your yeah. DDP was not a big name at the time. And he said, I want to take the diamond cutter. Yeah. And he wanted to put him over with the finishing move. Which is about as far away from Hulk Hogan's attitude as you can possibly get. Yeah. And I can only imagine working in that industry where you kind of have to be a bit aggressive in some respects to fight mm. for your place. And then to see this guy who's just been handed everything and then still wants to rob everyone else of their opportunities yeah. for fame, he just will never let anyone fucking get over. The putting the two of them together is an interesting one. Vince, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Vince has got a little bit of a thing where he senses real-life tension. He <laughs> knows that's where money is made. You know, yeah. We saw it last year with, with John Cena and Roman Reigns. He wanted to make out that there was a real-life beef and tension between them. He did it with John Cena and The Rock. He did it with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. And a lot of people don't really maybe mention it. They think it's kind of, you know, oh, it's just Hogan. But honestly, Hogan and Savage coming together and the whole feud over Elizabeth, that's Vince McMahon's idea. And... You can't help but think that Vince McMahon sees how Macho Man treats Elizabeth or his paranoia about her and sees his paranoia about Hulk Hogan and doesn't think, you know what, this will make a great story. Yeah. At the expense of their well-being. It's very manipulative. It's worth mentioning as well, in that last match with Ricky Steamboat, Mm. Elizabeth was on the outside and there was a couple of moments where she was standing in places where he didn't want her to be. So he would physically get out of the ring and move her to like the, the corner which was on his side, which is the right corner. He's very controlling as both a character, mm. but also I think in real life with his relationship with her as well. And it's yeah. very clear that both Vince and I think Hulk Hogan too could see right through him and understood what buttons to press. Yeah, I was wondering, I was going to ask you that, like how often do you think there would have been a thing with Vince and Hogan during this Mega Powers team up where he would have been you know if you like if you raise you know Elizabeth's arm or you put her up on your shoulder you know why don't you do that tonight and see what see what happens with Randy and yeah. see if, you know I, I don't necessarily think that they are literally like oh we're going to really get them tonight but I think I, it would be that but maybe not as blatant, uh, as blatant yeah. yeah but I do think there's a little bit of let's push some buttons and see what we get out of them I yeah. think Randy is in a sense got used a little bit around yes. this time the way that Mean Gene described Hogan and Savage together as a team, he said, like, interviewing them was kind of scary. I can imagine. There's a clip they showed of both of them trying to talk to Mean Gene. And it's just a flex-off. It's terrifyingly intense. Yeah, it's just a podcast. Two loud lads shouting over each other all the time. Like, Jesus Christ, like, getting together, lads. <laughs> I wish there was more flexing in podcasting. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? I'm flexing constantly. My glutes are constantly engaged. You want to hold back the hands of time? Squeeze them. <laughs> so, the feud over Elizabeth. So, they were the mega powers. They were a tag team for ages. They won the tag belts. They were very successful. They main evented as, as a tag team. And... This was kind of the first time where you had that the champion, Matchman Randy Savage, wasn't main eventing on his own. He was maybe co-main eventing with Hulk Hogan. But they go out of their way to point out during his reign, he was champion for a little over a year. And it was the first time, other than Hogan, someone had been champion at that time for Vince's vision of the WWF. The WWF was never more popular. They did really great pay-per-views and, you know, he did loads of media appearances. He was an incredibly successful champion 
outside of his association with Hulk Hogan. Because that's the thing, isn't it, about being champion? It's a, it's a lot more work, I think, than people maybe realise. Yeah, you got to go and Regis Kelly and shit like that. Yeah, with, with great power comes great responsibility and <laughs> an exhausting timetable of work. You've got to go do media appearances, interviews, magazine interviews. Charity work. Charity work, yeah. Go Which, to- in fairness with Macho Man, he did more than his, his share. He was like, you know, even after retirement, his big focus was charity and particularly working with kids and stuff yeah. like that they actually point out a number of his friends saying that if a adult fan came up to him he'd be quite standoffish but if there was a kid he would be like Phew. like he was totally wanted to talk to the kids and yeah. be their hero and stuff like that it's really cute seeing clips of him with kids he's got yeah. that john cena just total yeah. on their level knows exactly how to talk to these kids yeah exactly yeah totally so cute. he shakes this little boy's hand and immediately he's like whoa they're not so hard you break my fist <laughs> i need the drizzle macho man and hogan teamed for for a few months and basically the things that started happening was that you know macho man was obsessed that hogan kept putting elizabeth in harm's way and that you know she got bumped off the apron at one point and you know liz had never taken a bump and he was furious about this but Hogan talked about, like, they did a backstage segment where Elizabeth was in the stretcher and Hogan was, like, meant to come over and be like, oh, God, Liz, I'm so sorry, what happened? You know, you got laid out. And then Macho Man's meant to come in and be like, you know, what was that about, Hogan? But, like, literally before the cameras rolled and Hogan was right there, stood by Liz, Hogan says it like, oh, he got some sort of weird idea in his head that uh, I was touching her breast, brother. And, I don't know, you saw the footage? What did you think? He is. Yeah? I mean, I... Is he copying a feel? Would you go as far as to say or is that an inadvertent? No, he's not copying a feel. He is touching her breast. Yeah. I would say it's not in the realms of unprofessionalism. It doesn't look to me like immediately it's inappropriate or anything. He's he's holding her very close to him. He's basically got her hand in his hands mm. and he's leaning over her. So he's like pressed against her body. Now, within the characters in wrestling, I think that's perfectly fine. But I think it was very intentional that he was doing it in front of Macho Man to his wife. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just think if you were in that position and you knew who, what type of man Randy Savage is, which they all did. He's a macho man. (laughs) And he's incredibly obsessed with controlling his Mm. wife. He loves her to bits. More on that later. And you just... I, I don't know, if I was in that position, I'd be doing all I can not to tread on any toes. And Hulk Hogan is treading on toes. He knows exactly what he's doing. He does. And it's just enough as well. Hulk Hogan's a clever, manipulative man. Just enough to make him seem like Randy's really unreasonable. Yeah, like, he, you're out. crazy. What are you What are you on about? Yeah. yeah. And he's Hogan tells the story, like, then the camera's rolling and Randy comes in. He's, he's fucking fuming. And they have to do this beatdown angle. And he fucking beats the shit it's out of him. Yeah. And again, that's... That's taking advantage of you know not just randy but also elizabeth as well and this is kind of the point where they had this whole feud leading up to wrestlemania 5 which you know had those complete nutter rage promos where if you really think about those promos and you you saw them he was on the verge of tears of doing most of them they're very real they're very real and they start talking here at this point about a lot of the allegations a lot of the the rumors and stuff about about Randy and his treatment of Liz. Now, the one I always heard growing up was he locked her in a room every time he came. Like before she was his manager, he would bring her to the backstage area, he'd find a room, he'd lock her in the room, he'd go out and wrestle, she'd remain in there locked, then he'd come back, unlock the door, and they would leave. And that was so that none of the boys could see her and no one would hit on her and no one would see her or talk to her about him and tell her things about him and get in her, get in her mind. Now, that is 
scary abusive behavior if yeah, that's true really really scary now lanny his brother comes in and he's like of course that is an absolute ridiculous fabrication my brother was a man who did not tolerate nonsense in a world filled with nonsense and yeah. what he said was that uh, randy had a locker room for her a beautiful locker room if cindy lopper came in that she would use the locker room or if one of the other sensational sherry she would use the locker room it was the ladies locker room that's all it was you know many ladies back then there were there I mean, I, I get it, Lanny. I can see how someone could easily exaggerate the story of Macho Man insisting that she has her own locker room to Macho Man locking her in a room or then becomes Macho Man locks her in a closet and stuff like that. But then there's like, there was a period of time, for instance, where he was he was on the road for seven days. She was written off TV, so she had to stay at home. And according to Mean Gene and to Hogan and other people interviewed... So he kept her at home for these seven days. And depending on who you believe, he wouldn't let her leave the home. She had to stay locked in this big mansion in Florida. 21 TV dinners, one for breakfast, one for lunch, one for dinner. Seven days, and I'll see you then. Like, that is like... I've seen house pets looked after by people who don't like animals as a favour, who are treated with more dignity than that. I mean, it's one of those things that you could make it sound almost sweet. Like, oh, you know, I've gotten you all these TV dinners, so you never have to cook. But that's not the reason he did it. No. He said it's so she would have no reason to leave the house. Yeah. That's abusive. That's horrible. That's that's so... Well... So gross. <laughs> according to Lanny, people who are saying that, they are either lying or they are mistaken. That That's that's the end of it. No, nothing of the sort. Now, I understand and appreciate that the documentary was only going so far in this. I did went and did a little bit more digging, a bit more research, because there was always rumours that she she went to stay with Hogan at some point, and Hogan does mention that, that they had a big falling out, a massive falling out over it. And what happened was, Hogan and his wife Linda knew that they were separated for like a, a little bit, they didn't want to see each other, and she said, look, come down and stay with us in Florida, we've got this new big house, there's loads of rooms, the kids love you, why don't you come stay with us just for a little bit, get your head together and then you can come back and meet Randy whenever you want to when you guys are kind of settled down. Just to kind of cool off periods. And Randy found out then that she was down in Tampa staying at Hogan's house. And straight away, obviously, he's yeah. thinking, you're staying with Hogan. You guys are doing stuff together. And his other obsession was that Linda was filling her mind with loads of lies about Randy and telling her loads of stuff and getting thoughts in her head about leaving him. And, you know, because that's what women do, isn't it? They're going to group together and conspire against me. And what actually happened was she was seeing some guy at the time because Hogan was filming some movie and Elizabeth actually started casually dating some producer. And when Randy came down to meet Hogan, he was like, where is she? And she's like, oh, um, she's staying at a motel tonight. And she was staying like, with the producer. And like Randy went to the motel and like demanded the key to the room and like went in and stayed in the room until Elizabeth arrived. And Elizabeth opened up the door expecting to see her boyfriend. And there's fucking Randy. And he's like, where is she? You know? And you know, this is not the first time in the podcast where we've talked about a man breaking into property to fucking scare uh, a woman. Except he wasn't proposing this time. He was demanding to know the identity of her, of her boyfriend. And I think no matter which way you, you, you stab it, sure, there's been exaggerations. But I think there's no doubt that Randy Savage was pretty fucking toxic in his relationship with I'd, Liz. I'd like to think that locking her in cupboards and things is a, an exaggeration. Mm. Because I genuinely... I mean, that's Hogan's story I've told there as well, folks, by the yeah, way. So, so take that with the requisite amount of sodium from the hot dog there. <laughs> I, I do believe that she had her own dressing room. Mm. 
and I believe that she was probably locked in there. And I believe that other women were probably allowed to come and go if they ever were there on the show, which I think was probably not very often. Mm. It's really controlling behaviour. It shows a massive lack of trust on Randy Savage's part. But I think it shows part of his attitude to life in general. He's a very controlling man. Anything that's outside of his power makes obviously makes him very anxious not a healthy way to deal with things anxious and i'd say angry as well not oh, yes. just you know absolutely and that's the kind of thing when you're dealing with you know a fucking jacked up wrestle man who's full of testosterone anxiety does not necessarily bring itself out as like i'm feeling a bit nervous at the moment very often anxiety can present itself as you know as anger and yep. rage and whatnot absolutely. and that's i think is true for randy and like he blamed hogan for his divorce like when they got divorced eventually he said it was hulk hogan's fault you you cost me my wife i don't think that's going to be entirely true i think myriad of reasons you know controlling behavior locking your wife in a room refusing to allow her to socialize like yeah. it's one thing to be paranoid of your wife which is obviously not a great sign in any relationship but if you're really that concerned that men are going to hit on her why not allow her to bring some friends along you yeah. know, let her have some fun. Don't lock her in a room. Jesus. That's an interesting thing because, you know, Kevin Nash, I remember he's doing shoot interviews and he said, like, my wife would ask, hey, why don't we have like a, a get together? You and Scott and Sean and you all bring your wives around. He's like, absolutely not. No, no. Yeah. And the wife would not socialize with any of the wrestlers or any of the boys, wives, nothing like that. It's like, that's my business. And then we have our life together and I want you to have zero interaction with it which i guess is the other extreme in a way it is still controlling though it's still controlling obviously but i think both of those paranoias come from the issue which is that at this time women were very few and far between the wrestling industry Mm. and most of the men objectified women to such a huge degree like the atmosphere there was so toxic and a lot of the guys were like come on macho let us like come on let her out there what's yeah, the matter flirt with your wife yeah, you want to try and bone your wife yeah, of well, course he's gonna be paranoid obviously yeah it reminds me of there was this kid in school when i was when i was really young and he was huge great big muscular lad yeah way too big for his own good he didn't know his own strength and there was this other kid in the class who was much much smaller was very sharp-tongued and knew exactly what to say to get the other kid to react really angrily mm. and start lashing out physically. Yeah. And because he was so big, they had to punish him extra. So whenever the other kid was bored, he'd just be like, he'd say something to wind up Big Lewis over there, wind him up, get him to do this big public meltdown, cancel class, obviously. Yeah. He gets in terrible trouble. Meanwhile, no trouble for him. Yeah. And I just feel like similar dynamics were at play with this i think lots of the wrestlers knew and given the prank culture as well yeah, the, prank culture, yeah. the attitude towards women in general the fact that wives were separated she was the only one literally the mm. only one who was allowed to come anywhere near the wrestling industry i can understand randy's paranoia totally and i i i think he is obviously hugely to blame for his treatment of elizabeth but i think there are a lot of other people who should be owning that share of responsibility because they made that much worse deliberately manipulating him and would they not like it's one thing to wind up randy okay but who do you think he's going to take this out on it's It's going to be elizabeth yeah exactly and she i think she bore the brunt of like all of it at the end it kind of trickled down to affect her like i don't think genuinely i don't think hulk hogan was into miss elizabeth no if you see his type it's about as far away from Miss Elizabeth as you can get. Yeah, it's his daughter. That's his type, yeah. right? <laughs> so I think he knew perfectly well just how to 
pluck the strings of mm. Randy Savage to get him to react in a way that would reflect very badly on him and make Hogan look professional and respectful in comparison. What's quite heartbreaking about all of this is that this is all taking place, all of this real fucking drama. You know, this is like the soap opera behind the scenes was definitely bigger than the one happening on camera at the time. And one of the cases, I think, when the real backstage stories are like, not say more interesting, but certainly more shocking than what was playing out on our crazy over-the-top action-adventure wrestling show. And all the while this is happening, Randy and Elizabeth are actually having this big love story on TV, which is centering around, you know, Macho Man, who has become uh, disillusioned by Elizabeth leaving him. He becomes the Macho King. It's paired up with Sensational Sherry. But this all gets pitched up along the way to be an inevitable reunion and a heartfelt romantic moment. I'm going to take a look now at Macho King Randy Savage versus the Ultimate Warrior from WrestleMania 7 and have a look at what some consider to be one of the most romantic moments in wrestling and one I certainly failed, I think, to put over on our live show at the London Podcast Festival. I want to start things off, Joe, by asking you your opinion on Macho Man evolving with the Macho Stone into Macho King. <laughs> He's got four arms now and Sensational Sherry. The Sensational Sherry Stone, I would call that. <laughs> Obviously uh, upgraded him. Yeah, definitely. So thoughts on the Macho King? I mean, he's basically the same. But he's got the golden scepter, he's yeah. Got scepter, which he puts to good use. Yeah, man, he waffles fucking Ultimate Warrior with that golden <laughs> scepter, let me tell you. He does. Sensational Sherry, one of my all-time favourite people in wrestling. This may be the first time you've seen her. I've seen her in the background of a couple of matches here and there we've watched over the yeah. years. But this is the first time that she's actually been kind of front and center yeah thoughts she's very cool i like her a lot she is she just fucking gets it like yeah. it's so cool to see like in a time when there were so many over-the-top outfits and all that but I always felt like the the over-the-top stuff seemed to be like most of the men were getting to the really crazy face paint and you know wacky wild outfits with loads of accessories and you know the women were kind of a, more of a miss elizabeth uh, mold a little bit more straight laced she comes out in this match wearing basically just jewelry yeah she's essentially a cubic zirconia made into life i know one episode i can't remember what it was there was a certain match with sean michaels at his peak sexy boy era yeah where he's basically just wearing like an outfit made of jewels mm. very similar she's very 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 cool and very influential every man that she was paired with along the way she imparted advice and anyone who ever got paired with sensational sherry like leveled up like she was with him she was with ted dibiase she was with a very young sean michaels wow and she's actually the woman who sings the ah sean stop really? at the start that's sensational sherry <laughs> and she very iconic. much no yeah it's definitely it's iconic and she can see things in people i always used to think and can you just imagine in the era of the 80s being something like sensational sherry and being like hey macho man i've got some ideas for your character <laughs> You know, Bet you'll love that. Yeah, a lot of tiptoe, and I'm sure Sensational Sherry did in the days to impart the wisdom that she had. <laughs> First time seeing the Ultimate Warrior. Yes. I'm very excited by this. And I was like, oh, Joe, wait till you see the Ultimate Warrior's entrance. Because this is, by the way, this is probably my top ten matches of all time. I fucking adore this match. Career-ending, threatening match, this one. And I was like, oh, yeah, keep your eye on the Warrior, Joe. His entrance is incredible. And he just walks to the ring like a fucking Aegis. Yeah. What's, what does he normally do? He runs. Oh. And he runs really, like, really, really fast. fast. Really fast. I imagine he'd be a fast runner. He's very fast. Ultimate levels of speed when he runs. He's very watchable, as Ultimate Warrior. He's 
exactly as much of a cartoon character as I thought he'd be. He, he exactly is what I thought he would be when just, I saw a yeah. picture. I'm just going to say right now, you have seen the best Ultimate Warrior match. And oh, right, everything okay. you see after this will be oh. of a lower standard. I think he's had like, I mean, I don't know. We will do an episode on him and maybe this is my resentment of the Ultimate Warrior is seeping through. He's had two decent matches in his career, both of them with Macho Man. That's my hot take. Wow. But okay. I, you know, maybe we'll do an episode on him someday and I'll be proven wrong on that front. But you you bought him as this kind of energetic being, yeah. yeah? Well, the first thing I saw was this clip of him just shaking his head wildly. So yeah, Sensational Sherry got on her hands and knees to be like, please give the Macho Man a title match! And he went, no! Yeah. She, she once did, uh, shit you not, her and Macho Man literally did a promo around a bubbling cauldron going, yeah! <laughs> and he's got his head going, ooh, yeah! Amazing. You have to show me that later. Seriously, they're like the world's worst apprentice team. Like, just so on cocaine, just well overboard. It's not the brief, guys. Are we going to get a sensational Sherry episode sometime? You fucking goddamn right we are. Good, okay. Solely so I can see Dan do artwork oh! of sensational Sherry. Everyone she was with, she did different, uh, like she would do different, like this is, the look she has here is very different to how she looked when she was with Shawn Michaels. I thought it was quite interesting that her look here was almost reminiscent of Elizabeth. Yes. But like a super heel, yeah. sexy Elizabeth. The evil space yeah. Elizabeth, basically. Because she kept all the sequins, but like went way overboard with them. And then <laughs> with has, all like, the makeup and everything. And, as well. Yeah. <laughs> and her hair is somehow sparkly as yeah, well. Yeah, she's got like, I think she sprayed it with glitter paint or something. <laughs> amazing that's serious commitment to the bit right there it is. so the story of the match is that even though Macho Man is the the heel in this match he is pretty much overwhelmed and not able to beat the ultimate warrior at all like the ultimate warrior is stronger than him he's faster than him he is better than him if you want to go that far Sherry keeps interfering to give the Macho Man the the edge but as the match goes on the warrior just kind of overwhelms Randy Savage and they do again it's one of my favorite things in wrestling when you start off with one guy being like Macho Man is very firmly the bad guy at the start of this but by the end of the match you end up feeling kind of sympathetic for him I guess yeah because he does like five five finishes in a row which okay doesn't sound that impressive but remember it's the elbow drop and he has to do the finger pointing every time it's just five in a row You've asked me before, I think when we did Goldberg, you're like, how come everyone just do their finisher loads? And it's like, well, he did, and it didn't work. He didn't do it soon enough. You've got to do it immediately. That's what <laughs> Goldberg does. But he does it five in a row, and he still doesn't win. Yeah, it's one of my favourite things ever is that Randy knows, like, that's his best move, and he's, like, so, like, the paranoia is in there, like, you can't beat the guy, so don't do one and embarrass yourself and it get a two count. He doesn't even try and get a count. No, he he's knows. immediately, after each one, he doesn't even bother looking back at Ultimate Warrior to see how he's doing, who is just on his back, no, showing no signs of consciousness whatsoever, and yet Randy just keeps running back up that rope oh, to dive off again, and again, God. and again, and again, and again. <laughs> I love as well, that comes after Sherry does the most villainous thing uh, I've ever seen, which is a top rope high heel shot where she gets the yeah. point of her shoe. <laughs> if she hit someone with that legitimately, you would you would kill them. Like yeah. it's a fountain of blood would come out. <laughs> It'd be like Kill Bill or something. We get shots of Elizabeth who's in the crowd and not even in a good seat. She's kind of halfway up yeah. the aisle in the shadows. And like Bobby Heenan's like, oh, I think that's Elizabeth. She looks really sad. The whole match they cut to her and she just looks sad each time. Yeah, and I think... Like, we watched this match after the documentary and after all the kind of talk about Elizabeth and knowing, like, I think they're, they're separated here. They're not divorced yet. That's 92 and this is 91. 
So they are separated at this point, but they're still kind of playing very strongly on the heartstrings. And this shows you the fans didn't know. Yeah. You, you couldn't do this with John and Nikki now. No. We read TMZ. <laughs> we know what's going on. It's on Twitter moments these days. Fucking hell. So we get an ultimate comeback from the Warrior. He does the press slam and, and a splash, which is his finisher, which Randy kicks out of his last moment of, of hope. And inexplicably, a story that seems to be only pertinent to the Ultimate Warrior, the heavens start speaking to him. I don't know if you noticed that, where he's like, and starts talking to his hands. That's supposed to be the heavens? The gods above, talking to the Ultimate Warrior, floating through the veins, load the rocket fuel into the rocket ship. I'm a big Ultimate Warrior fan, as you can tell. I'm not going to explain why. You know what? When we do an episode, you explain it. I'm not bothering. It made no sense. He talked to his hand like a fucking weirdo. So it's the thing he did often? Yeah, he'd just talk to the, the gods above. Okay. Some of us happen to be monotheistic, Mr. Warrior. Yeah? Randy gets three spears in a row. So he gets three finishers in a row from the Ultimate Warrior, who just pulls him in. And this is the moment that makes me feel bad for Randy. It's like a career-ending match. And he's put, he stands on him with one foot and just raises his arms over his head. Like, Randy's nothing. And then it's one, two, three, and Randy's just left in a heap. Warrior puts on his coat and poses. And Sensational Sherry beats the shit out of him. Yeah. Now, now this is something I'm, I'm always always keeping the ear open and the eye open for this now. Because, you know, you, you've rightly pointed out to me oftentimes when certain tropes always play off with certain gender roles or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I can't think of too many times in wrestling where a woman is beating the shit out of a man and then another woman comes yeah, and saves him. him. Yeah, I honestly can't think of a single time that's happened. I and mean, can you think of like how many wrestlers would be like, excuse me? You're going to be beaten up by a woman and Wait, then saved by a woman? I can think of one. Oh? Brie Bella saving Daniel Bryan. Oh shit, you're right. But that was that very was, That recently. was from Miz, not Maurice. And it was from, yeah. yeah, The Miz. So I guess not quite the same. But like, yeah, Sherry, like, you know Sherry's business. She takes off her second layer of sequins and takes yeah. off her high heels and just starts kicking Kicking the blows. <laughs> I love it so nasty. There's something really funny about seeing this like person dressed in this very ornate kind of bejeweled outfit and then be like just kicking the blows. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she runs in and she beats up Sherry, and then we have the emotional reunion. Now, something I didn't maybe count on when we did the live show was that the screen was behind us, so you couldn't necessarily see. You're not the macho man turning your back to the crowd all the time, so you couldn't necessarily see as it was playing out. We didn't have the audio as well of the reunion between Macho and Liz. I mean, I saw it. I saw it. But the reaction of the fans... Yeah, that I didn't see. You had people openly weeping. Yeah, yeah, sobbing. Loads of people. It's just another comparison to Princess Diana, I reckon. Just what, the fact that people get so kind of emotionally invested in them and kind of... I don't think, do they live vicariously through them, do you think, in a way? I don't know about that. I don't know enough about sort of the fans' love of Elizabeth, but like I know there were there are a fair few signs in the crowd in Macho Man's matches which are all about how much they love Elizabeth and Elizabeth is the best. And, and them being together is yeah. just like... I mean, it's so fucking sweet because like, it's literally like Macho Man's like, I fucked up, I became a king and now I'm not allowed to wrestle anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then like Liz and him embrace and they're, you know... They've been through so much shit. And I mean, that's got to be a weird hug right there because there's a lot of emotions, but they're not necessarily the ones that the fans are reacting to. And this is a real-life fairy tale ending where the real, real life is not necessarily having that fairy tale ending because the truth was that their relationship had never been worse at this point in time. Mm-hmm. But seeing the crowd, you know, crying and weeping and, him, you know, she goes to hold open the ropes for him like he always did and then he stops and he holds open the ropes for her. That's sweet. It's so sweet and it's like, I don't know. You always hear of wrestlers where the kind of 
the lines get blurred between their character and whatnot. And, like, you can easily see these two having this moment and being kind of like, well, everything's okay. You know, because we've just had this fucking beautiful, sweet moment and everyone loves us. It just shows, like, when your life plays out in the public eye like that, like, what's real anymore? What's real and what's not? Because this is one of the most sweet romantic moments in wrestling and behind it is kind of a sad story, really. I just wonder how healthy it is to do angles like this. Especially when people like Randy Savage are involved. He has mental health issues and a lot of issues with regards to his relationship with relationships. Yeah. And I just don't know if it's the healthiest thing to, you know, with a partner that you've just separated from to have this whole reunited again and it feels so good and we're you, soulmates and everyone's... You hear a crowd react like that. That's not... There's no way you kind of go, it's just show. Yeah, it's just the show. No one's like... No one's that fucking cut off from the... You, you get intoxicated by that. Mm. You know, by that... I mean, I get fucking intoxicated when 10 people in a fucking room laugh at a joke I tell, you know? <laughs> Obviously, if you've got fucking 20,000 people bawling their eyes out about how perfect your relationship is yeah. and how, what a fairy tale romance it is it's got to rub off on you oh i don't know I, part of me wonders if it's a bit of a manipulative mm. thing on randy's side or if it's maybe a vince and randy thing maybe they both kind of together thought oh wouldn't it be nice if elizabeth came back after a year and a half yeah and you're back together again and everything's who knows, okay who knows what feelings may be reignited by uh, your reunion but they've come back together in Macho Man. He's no longer a wrestler as a result of that. And at SummerSlam, they have the match made in heaven where they, they get married. And that was like a big, huge spectacle you know, on pay-per-view, the wedding of the century. It was the, the main century. event, right? Yeah. It's amazing. The wedding, it's, it's cute in some ways. Oh, yeah. But then you see how he looks at her. Uh, why is it now because he's not wearing sunglasses he's got the weird alien eyes that you're, you're going on about? No, I'm it? not just saying that. I mean, he... She's looking around. She's mm. looking at him occasionally, but she's not really going out of her way to make eye contact. He really is. He's right in her Laser face. Eyes. If he could possibly block her from looking at anything but him, I'm pretty sure he would. Yeah. It's quite aggressive. You think that's like six months after the tearful reunion? I bet the uh, the kind of mystique has worn off a little bit on that, you know. And imagine as well the stress of all of it, you know, with Macho Man. I don't know if you ever seen his episode of Don't Till the Bride, where he's a uh, insufferable I wanted to do it all in Vegas apparently and uh, then insisted on having it live in pay-per-view and Liz is like this is not what I want I wanted to get married in a church I wanted to be nice and romantic and I wanted, traditional I want to get married in a stately home not SummerSlam come on <laughs> it's clear at that point I think it was much easier to realise that this was not you know what was happening on screen was not what was happening in real life yeah you know, that was very much to that point you could tell that honestly the love was gone but the issue not were, for Randy. No, you can tell he loves the shit out of her. I it's, think Liz is maybe it's unhealthy, mm. but she's obviously past it now. Yeah, mm. it's very very sad. And that, of course, after the the big wedding that they have, they have the famous wedding reception where all the wrestlers left them gifts, and that rotter Jake the Snake Roberts left a snake in a box, which of course is terrible both for the wedding party. And the snake. Don't just leave a snake in a box at a crowded party. That's fucking rubbish, mate. Dangerous. Wasn't even on the wish list. Unbelievable. Like, you're meant to go on to the bed, bath and beyond wedding list. The registry, exactly. No snakes on that registry, Jake the Snake. There's some snakeskin boots, yes, but not a snake. And this led to how they got Randy back into uh, into wrestling. Jake the Snake uh, was taunting him. You know, that he'd gone soft because he'd stopped wrestling. He wasn't a real man anymore. 
and you know he used to look up to him, but now he felt kind of sorry for him. And I did show Joe. It was kind of in, in two minds. You know, in the Jake the Snake episode, it would be just as important to show. But we done Randy first, and if I didn't show Joe th- this special segment, I think a lot of people would be quite angry. Mm. Of course, talking about when Jake the Snake unleashed a king cobra on Randy Savage. What did you think of that? Explain to the people what happens. Well, kind of happens how you wouldn't expect it to happen in modern wrestling, really. The snake goes and bites him. <laughs> I mean, in modern wrestling, you expect like, a snake just to maybe be put on someone. or Yeah, and there's like maybe a handler there just out of sight. You can see with a big pole or something. But no, this is a legit king cobra. Yeah. Devenomed, as you said. Yeah, so it can't kill Randy. No. But it can still cause significant pain. Yeah, and like Jake at the start, he's he's done interviews about this. He's like, I'm trying to get the snake to bite him, man. He just won't, he won't do it. He won't bite him. And then the snake is like, fine, I will bite him. And he latches on. He fucking sinks those teeth well in. And of course, Jake tries to pull it off because it's biting him too much. And Randy is screaming in agony. And the last thing you should do when you've got a snake, particularly something like a King Cobra is to try and pull it off because that's, oh, that's basically making them flesh. well that's just making them double down they will lock in place and they will not let go and yeah it's I had to do a little bit of searching to find the uncensored version of it because originally that was that was something that I think WWE were uh, censored for quite a while and rightly so the King Cobra has the strongest bite force of any <laughs> known snake why would you use that one then like, use, use one with, like, an alright bite. Like, it has to be the strongest bite. Like, you can find videos online, I'm pretty sure, of, like, King Cobra's biting metal and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they, it, their jaw is, it can open so wide and then clench so hard. They're absolutely terrifying. Fucking Regardless hell. of if they have venom, they are, ab- I am so, I'm not even scared of snakes. I love snakes, but King Cobra's, oh, oh no thank God. you. So fucking horrifying. That is just like, yeah, it's one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever seen in wrestling. But again, like, Randy Savage, you know, yeah, go ahead, bite me with a fucking King Cobra. Whatever, man. Cool. Let's do it. You know, and let's have a match as a result of it. (laughs) Our final match that we're looking at is another one which was highly requested. I was in a few minds about it because one of the participants said he fucking hated it in Ric Flair versus Macho Man Randy Savage from WrestleMania 8 for the WWF Championship. We, of course, we saw the match where Ric Flair won this belt. It was the 1992 Royal Rumble. So this is Flair in WWF in 1992 where he's got Bobby the Brain Heenan and Mr. Perfect as his kind of executive entourage. The whole story of this one, Joe, was that Ric Flair claimed that Elizabeth had once had a torrid affair with him before she knew Randy Savage. He would say, she's yours now, but she used to be mine. It's so unfair on Elizabeth. How many things to do with her are just, ah, now I get to talk about how I kissed the pretty woman. And what Ric Flair had done was he had Put your dicks away. (laughs) Put your ricks away. (laughs) So what Flair had done was... He had made out that he had all these sizzling hot photos of him and Elizabeth from their uh, sexy past together. And he was going to show them on the big screen when he beat him at WrestleMania. And of course, they were just doctored photos of ones of Randy and Elizabeth doing things like drinking wine and petting a horse. So it's the idea that Rick himself like had Photoshop and he was just doctoring these images really skillfully. He's yeah. like, passed as like a graphic designer or something, photo retoucher. I like to think what it was is that it's Flair telling Mr. Perfect to do it instead. <laughs> yeah, you know, over yeah. No, no, that one's wrong. In this picture, I have a tear in my eye. Bobby Heenan's in the background. He's like, just use liquefy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can make his face look really weird. <laughs> 
I like that you picked the most heel parts of Photoshop there. That's gonna be oh, going... liquefies the the most heel tool to use. Yeah, that's that's gonna go down big with the image editing crowd who listen to our <laughs> podcast. So you got a clash of ideologies in this one. You've got Matchman Randy Savage, who likes to write everything verbatim. He likes his numberized list, and you got Ric Flair, who. If he has his way, and the best matches he said he's ever had is they go out and they don't have anything planned. They just go out and kind of go, all right, let's just play it by ear, feel out the crowd. Mm -hmm. And Ric Flair, of course, unlike Ricky Steamboat, is not going to be someone who's going to go, oh, your way of doing things. Yeah, no, no, that sounds good. I'll go against everything I think is good. Yeah, let's do your thing instead. Yeah, I'm the (laughs) champion, but obviously, you know, you're, you're Randy Savage, so... Flair talked extensively in his book about how he hated this match. I really enjoyed it. I love the story of wild Randy Savage wanting to get his hands on Ric Flair and Ric being cool as a cucumber and taking advantage of that fact all the way and like kind of beating Randy to the punch essentially. So in the end, who won out? Was it was it planned or was it unplanned? I think it was like Flair said that they would let them do the plan, but he wanted to take things in a few different directions if it called for it. And what kind of ends up happening then is that I don't think everyone is necessary. There's a few times where Rick goes to the corner and you can tell we're not where we should be or I feel like this is the plan but it's not right. So if you look very closely at Ric Flair's face you can see he's not having a good time. Mm. But Ric Flair is kind of so good that even Ric Flair having a good time and struggling with someone else's plan still puts on a great match. He only did one very small woo and he didn't fall over at all. So that's Ah. how you can tell I think if he's bothering yeah it's, it's like in viva pinata if you've not met their conditions they won't do their special dance yes yeah. flair won't flop unless he's happy with what's going on no i love like when randy makes his comeback flair does this great thing where he like scrambles like a madman to try like he'll run to the top rope and the big like, no gets thrown off and he'll run against the ropes and no he keeps getting beaten to the punch over and over again i absolutely mm. love that now this is from wrestlemania 8 during the peak of vince's original pg run where he said there's no blood whatsoever, pal. Now, if we're looking at the mat, we realise that the mat has already stained a lot of blood. That's from Roddy Piper versus Bret Hart, which we covered for our episode on Rowdy Roddy Piper, everyone's favourite angry, not Scottish Canadian man. They got away with that one because they pretended that they busted themselves for real, like over their, their eyebrow, mm. and they got hit. Oh, sorry, Vince. But Ric Flair decides when he's outside just to go, yeah, and cut himself. And has this... Out of nowhere. Like, literally out of nowhere. It caught you by surprise, I think, the blood. Yeah, it did. Because <laughs> it gross. is, it's out of nowhere. There's like no big move beforehand that would make you kind of go, oh, that's what caused the blood then. Yeah, they're just outside brawling. And then all of a sudden Flair's like, now I'm bleeding, woo! And like, very obviously a blade job because it's like perfect blood yeah. over the eye going into his hair a little yeah. bit. You're sexy blood, Ric Flair. What uh, are you doing? That really pissed off Vince McMahon, who Flair said when they came back after this match, Vince screamed at them both and he said, you were this close to greatness and you fucked it up. Wow. <laughs> because Rick chose Go to Vince. cut himself. I, honestly, I think it's for the best. It's yeah. pointless. It added nothing. We get the big elbow from Randy, but Mr. Perfect stops the count and then gives Ric Flair some brass knuckles who clocks Randy. But because he's matchman Randy Savage and paranoid about pictures of his ex-wife Elizabeth, he manages to kick out. Perfect then even goes and knocks him with a chair as well, the dirty rotter. I felt really bad at this point for Randy's lovely gold tights. Mm. We didn't mention it, but Randy's wearing like a really glam Seth Rollins at WrestleMania kind of (laughs) outfit. It's really gold and black and it's great look. It's like 80s kind of ska Seth Rollins he's going for here with a little bit of checkerboard and tassels. I don't see any checkerboard. It's like kind of like 
like kind of I don't know, like piping and stuff mm. and panels and it's all yeah, very gold and bronze. It's and black. eclectic. It's yeah, very, I'm doing the Fraser thing here. Tassels. It's got lovely gold tights on, mm. and Ric Flair's nasty blood gets all over his nice gold tights. You know, like, you know, he never uses them more than once. Fine, but you still shouldn't ruin a pair of the man's tights. Like no. he's been laid out by a shot with brass knucks. He's been hit with a chair and been left for dead. And who comes out to save the day? Once again, it's Miss Elizabeth. And she's being surrounded by a bunch of old white men yelling at her. And Shane McMahon was there yeah, as well. Great spot, by thank the way. Thank you, thank you, young Shane. What was it that gave him away? Because he doesn't really look like Shane there. Like, but as soon as he pointed out, I could not. You, not see it yeah it's his hair you don't really see his face much <laughs> he's angled kind of away from the screen but that hair is un, it's totally I wouldn't miss it anywhere there's something very fish out of water and a little bit disconcerting about seeing Shane McMahon being right in a Miss Elizabeth's face going you can't go in that ring and <laughs> yeah, like, whoa screaming at <laughs> sorry it's like the game is glitched and it's putting the wrong eras in together like this isn't right <laughs> We get serious work on the leg here from Ric Flair to Randy Savage. Big shin breakers. He puts him in the figure four. And I know you're a fan of selling. And this was great to see a match where Randy is the face and working as the underdog. The way he sells that leg. So good. His selling's amazing. Fucking incredible. It's great because he's so good at the tiptoeing type thing anyway. So he's he's quite used to, I think. He's got all that leg strength. Yeah, seriously. That core leg strength. So uh, every time he puts any weight on the leg, he kind of falls down and he has to tiptoe around. It's oh, perfect. So Flair's got him in the figure four leg lock and he's like slapping Randy in the face the whole time. It's fucking incredible. We get a quick roll up and reveal Ric Flair's little bottom. Randy Savage wins the World Wrestling Federation Championship. And then Ric Flair, covered in blood, forces himself on Elizabeth. So big night for Randy. Shit night for Liz. Ric Flair loves kissing women without their consent, doesn't he? Woo! Oh, he did that, didn't he? One of our pay-per-views we reviewed. Yeah. He like kissed... Uh, Becky, I think. It is Becky Lynch. Oh my god. Oh god, there's so many. I googled Ric Flair kiss. No, Joe! There's a million results of like him kissing Maria Kanellis and him kissing his new wife with tongue. Okay. Kissing Miss Elizabeth and you Becky. know what? He's he's saving all them kisses for his new wife, and they're very happy together. So more power to him. Randy picks up the big win here, a match which Ric Flair hated. And honestly, I was sitting watching this going. And then that final, once Elizabeth comes out, we get that crazy sequence at the end with the figure four and the leg. Ah, oh, I really love this match in the end. But uh, what were your thoughts on it, Joe? I really liked it. This is my favorite match we watched. Mm. I gave it four out of five stars. Nice. Once again, seeing Ric Flair, even when he's not enjoying himself, is very good at this wrestling malark. I really, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I've seen of Ric Flair so far. Mm. Doesn't seem to do a huge amount, but what he does is quite effective. That's always it makes for the wrestlers with the most longevity. They can do like, a, like a handful of things superiorly mm. well to anyone else, and there's a whole career in that. I'm especially impressed that I always end up liking Ric Flair's matches, even though every time I see Ric Flair, I'm like, oh, he's such a prick. I really don't like Ric Flair at all as a person. I'm not going to enjoy this match. And then always he manages to turn me around. It's just like Jerry Lawler. Yeah. There's just some some scum who are so good at wrestling, <laughs> you can't help but kind of appreciate the ability. Some scum you heard some in here scum. first. <laughs> So, Randy is in an interesting position here now when we're heading into WrestleMania 9 and beyond. 
Vince is losing a lot of his mainstays. Hogan has decided that he's taken a sabbatical to go and do TV for a couple of weeks and then go to WCW instead. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are maybe not hanging around from the Hogan era anymore. And, you know, Ultimate Warrior is gone, for instance. And Vince is putting a lot more faith in the likes of Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, Yokozuna, Lex Luger, his so-called new generation. And even though Randy Savage is... You know, a huge, huge name. I mean, like, to put over what a huge name he was, this is around the time he got to be the spokesperson for Slim Jim, which I'm quite sure is probably the reason he went from being very famous wrestler to pop culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he is not... Those ads are so well known. Like, we know them over here. They didn't even run here, for fuck's sake. They interview one of the, like, the directors of the company or something, and he mentions that when Randy Savage became the spokesperson for Slim Jim, he doubled their sales in a year. What? Like, that's incredible. Keep in mind, if you've ever eaten a Slim Jim, right, you you know, you either like him or you don't. There's not much you can do with that. You're you're, you're into the corner of a Slim Jim. What are you going to do, make it more spicy? But he made it (laughs) iconic, snap on a Slim Jim. Yeah. There's something very... Like, you can imagine a lot of people trying to make that seem cool and it just not working because mm. it's kind of a bit a bit not cool, really. But, but Macho Man it. saying, snap on a Slim Jim, and then doing the whole <laughs> snap thing with his teeth. He's intense. He's bold. He's crazy. It's awesome. And you'd see him, like, he'd have a Slim Jim jacket on him, you know, <laughs> coming out. And it's not like anyone's going, oh, how, you know. No one's even going to go, oh, how tacky of Randy no, Savage. because weird. Because he's Randy Savage, you know. Yeah. He is a Slim Jim, for fuck's sake, like, you know. <laughs> they put a load of them together, left him in the sun, and out came Randy Savage, you know. They gave him a hat and some glasses. <laughs> he really became mainstream with that, because they ran radio ads, they ran TV ads constantly. I think the actual ads ran for nearly 10 years in total, mm. like, so that's like all of the 90s, essentially. Yeah. Randy savage was the face of processed stick meat in america and you think that like some of that fame would maybe have spoken to vince in some way of like maybe we should bring this guy back in he's clearly still very physically fit he can still wrestle yes okay he's getting older but he's still a lot younger than some of the guys and we he can have still wrestle. That's and the he, thing. yeah most importantly he can still wrestle and he can do it without getting hurt like the biggest sabbatical that randy savage ever took in wrestling was because of his divorce with Elizabeth. And this is the sad thing, and another thing which Randy ended up blaming Hulk Hogan for, which was, you know, after all the shit went down, he had to take time away from the ring, and because of getting the divorce, and to get his head straight and all that. And when he came back, Vince is like, hey, pal, commentary, how about it? And, you know, he blamed Hogan, because it's like, well, if it wasn't for Hogan, and inviting Elizabeth down there, I wouldn't have went down there, we wouldn't have gotten divorced, and if I wouldn't have gotten divorced, I wouldn't have lost my career, and Vince would have seen that I was still a, a top guy. And he, I think in his mind, he thought Vince didn't trust him anymore, which, of course, works great for someone with deep-rooted paranoia issues. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Hogan was involved, but I don't think it's as clear-cut as the way Randy Savage think it went down. I mean, Hogan was gone at that point anyway. Yeah, I know? think anything that Hogan did, I think it would have been more along the lines of planting seeds of, oh, don't you think he'd be great on commentary with that voice? And, mm. oh, maybe, you know, it's time to wind down some of these older guys. Like, Well, some people say that Vince literally told him to his face, you're too old. Yeah, which, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, at that time, there was very much a shift in rejecting old styles of wrestling and older wrestlers and bringing yeah. in the fresh new young faces. But it's interesting about, like, Hogan, because, like, you know, around the time Randy was doing commentary, which is around WrestleMania 9, 
Hogan, you know, he, he had a match on that pay-per-view. He actually had two matches. He ended up, you know, winning winning the belt in the main event of that night, even though he wasn't in the match. Mm-hmm. You know, he just came in at the end and won the belt. And Hogan had a black eye that night. And the rumor for years was that Hogan got the black eye from Savage because Savage wow. locked him out the night before. And it wasn't true. Right. But again, such was the level of animosity between these two guys that people chose to believe that, you know. And that's just kind of... Randy on commentary... I've watched shows with him on commentary and it's fucking challenging to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> we were watching the Mixed Match Challenge because we were away a little bit and we were like, we come back with like, oh, there's a Mixed Match Challenge and it's Renee Young, Vic Joseph and Michael Cole and I swear to you folks, Joe would not believe me that Michael Cole and Vic Joseph are two different people. I still don't believe you. <laughs> I, I just have to take your I word for it. I swear he's on Instagram. They sound exactly the same. He could have just invented this other persona so that Michael Cole can talk to himself and they can claim he's talking to someone else, but it's not true. Have you ever seen Vic Joseph and Michael Cole on the same Instagram post at the same time? You've not. I've not even seen Vic Joseph, so... I could be making that name up, I'm just saying, like... I'm sorry, but they sound exactly the same. I'm a good 70% sure that's his actual name as well. (laughs) (laughs) But Macho Man on commentary, a distinct voice, does that mean for good commentary? No, because he mumbles all the time. He's really unclear. It's hard enough to understand what he says in promos most of the time. Like I honestly struggle to understand 90% of what Macho Man says. And on commentary, I can only imagine how difficult that must be. It's so funny. Jim Ross, his first night with WWF was WrestleMania 9. The commentary team, for the first time ever, they never worked together before, was Jim Ross as a lead commentator. Your first night on the job. Make sure you impress Vince because you're here. You're meant to be good. Macho Man Randy Savage had only been doing it part-time for a few months and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh and JR God. is like, it was the hardest ever because he had to come in and Randy was on another planet and Bobby was like, this is fucking hilarious. He's fucking rough. <laughs> <laughs> Poor JR. <laughs> so hard. And like, yeah, Randy's great. And it just, it was really heartbreaking when they, there was actually a clip they showed. It's like the pre-show for SummerSlam. And here's Randy Savage coming out, high-fiving everyone. And he's doing the pre-show going, Yeah, it's SummerSlam, brought to you by the new generation, yeah! All about the youth. And like over at WCW, you've got Hogan's there, Honky Tonk, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. You know, all the, the names who he would have been on, his colleagues essentially, are all over on that other show as well. Yeah. And he's there basically being a hype-up man for younger guys. He said he wanted to do a two-year feud with Shawn Michaels. They had this whole thing planned there because he knew Shawn Michaels was the next top guy he wanted to have a two-year feud where he would put over Shawn Michaels and of course because it's Randy Savage Shawn Michaels was going to win and vanquish the macho man forever and they said nah you're too old mate sorry absolutely ridiculous that that's such a joke what cool feud that would have been Mm. the passing of the torch right I know Shawn Michaels is such a young macho man Randy Savage they're so similar it's so funny to think that like, I get when you want to have a new era and all that jazz and, like, get new stars. But, but that's how you do it. Yeah, by beating the old ones. Yeah. And that generation, it's the new generation, not one we've really looked at much because we've not done Brett and we've not done Sean or, or Kevin Nash. We did a bit about Razor Ramon. But that generation struggled from the fact that the previous generation didn't put them over. And it's like Hulk Hogan was meant to do, like, a, a match with Bret Hart that was advertised and then it never happened. So Bret never got that legitimacy. And like Shawn Michaels, if he had a cheer feud with Macho Man and then he went off into the sunset after that, it would have totally made like he's the fucking guy. Yeah. Even though, you know, 
he's a great performer, but fans need to see the old guys lose, yes. I think. And I think the old guys need that as well. Like there's a I think a very important part of a wrestling career is that it finishes the way that they're kind of happy with. It has a nice ending to it. Yeah. You hear so often, it comes up so often on this podcast alone, the how sad it is when wrestlers are forced to retire without their kind of their input and their control yeah. circumstances beyond their powers. And it just never seems to work out well for them. They end up coming back and they come back again and they just get older and more broken and they feel they've got more to prove and Mm. less opportunity to prove it. And it just, it would have been so nice to have had that final career ending story, which had tied everything up, put over Shawn Michaels. And he'd happily retire then after that. And also how rare and valuable that you've got a veteran wrestler as famous and as big and important and iconic as Macho Man Randy Savage. Who everyone will recognise from those fucking Slim Jim adverts. Who wants to put over a younger guy he really wants to help it's very befuddling and it kind of it really does i guess speak to how vince maybe ultimately viewed randy in that maybe he didn't view him as being a star on that level that he, he thought it would reflect worse on him to bring back someone who was who he had labeled as being old and it was more important to be like ah, what came before us was awful because hogan is in wcw therefore that era stinks and Macho Man, unfortunately, I think ultimately reminded Vince of the 80s. And he didn't want to be reminded of the 80s. I think at its core, Vince is too much of a business person and not enough More of a, a wrestling fan. fan. Yeah. yeah, because, yes, if you are building a business and you've got your brand and your new brand is the new generation, it's very easy then to go, well, this answers the question alone. Should we be bringing in a veteran to fight a new generation member mm. when our new brand guidelines specify it's all about the younger guy? Well, then no, we shouldn't. You don't fit within this current narrative. Mm. So there's is the Is that door. the best decision? No, probably not. It's not because all that did was send over another big crazy top star to WCW, which had just gotten Hogan and, you know, it had Ric Flair again. They had Sting. They had Lex Luger. You know, they had all these big names that were going over there en masse. And here comes your Macho Man as well. And Macho Man, you know, he's a driven guy, as we said. And there's no one more driven than someone who's been told you're too old to wrestle and has now been given, well, here's a platform to show that you can do it. And, you know, he fucking went hell for leather WCW to prove that he still had it. He really does. You know, and he, he could still do it. He could. He was still great on promos. He was still, you know, any failings of Randy Savage in WCW, I think, were ultimately down to maybe them not having great creative or it being a bit you know Hogan had far too much say yeah. and everything that Macho Man was doing kind of was Macho Man and Friends which was Hulk Hogan mm. he was used to get Hogan over I think maybe more than anything else but WWE were very very uh, professional about all this they say that Vince was totally shell-shocked when Randy left like he couldn't like he you know a lot of people had left and he was okay with it but Randy leaving like Vince felt was like a personal betrayal it's ridiculous and like you, they showed the clip of Vince on Raw being like you know I want to thank you personally Randy for everything you've done all the positive memories you've made which I remember seeing it the first time thinking oh that's really sweet watching it there and kind of going There's a little bit sinister tinge yeah, to that there yeah right looking straight into the camera with those cool Dies. Yeah, I'm your father, Randy, not Angelo. <laughs> I'm very disappointed in you. And I've done 6,034 push-ups. How do you think about that, <laughs> huh? Quite frankly, I think your father's a coward and I'm your new daddy. <laughs> <I'm so scared>. <laughs> <laughs> the very, very grown-up thing. And yeah, to dip back into the back catalogue, Vince Russo is uh, one of the people responsible for this, which was the Huckster and Nacho Man. So what, were, what was the, the gist of this then, Joe? So he's got these two young guys to dress up as Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and just 
give these backstage promos talking about how old they are. Yeah. And they did one particularly cruel one where... But Vince basically knew that Randy Savage was really self-conscious about his bald spot. It's basically like they sat down and said, what, what are these two lads most self-conscious about? Let's really fucking do yeah. some blue sky thinking here. Yeah, we've known both of these men for many years, both professionally and personally. We've seen them both cry. Yeah, yeah. So how, how can we continue to make them cry? And they basically did this whole sketch about Macho Man spray painting his bald spot and all this other stuff. And it's just... Yeah, he's very paranoid about his bald yeah. spot. Yeah, and it was just... It's stuff that you could think, oh, it's just a joke, but it is all very carefully planned to wind up them both. It's very yeah. mean. It's kind of like, you may be beating us in ratings, but we, we're going to make you feel bad. And yeah. that's, so therefore, we have the moral victory here. And you know what? It's not even done well. No, it's not It's done at really, all. really bad. It's, it just makes no sense. Like, it's kind of like... Show, man. That's not even clever. I'm not sure if this will ring true with anyone, but is, have you ever like had a, a thing in school where like someone has to do like a, a group essay or like a group little play and a bunch of kids like, oh, what we'll do is we'll make fun of other people in the class yeah. by going up and doing the teacher won't know and it's really transparent what it is. Yeah. Like it's a veiled attempt to make fun of other people. It's and, basically just bullying. Yeah. And that's all that came off as. It came off as really crass juvenile and like an adult should have stepped in and said... What are you two idiots yeah. doing in here? Like, yeah. stop us. Because it's it's so it's so obviously like it's just transparent in how deliberately mean it is. Mm. It's it's not made with the purpose of entertaining an audience. It's made with the purpose of we know you're watching and you're gonna watch us humiliate you. And when they're talking about reasons why Macho Man never comes back, like he leaves in ninety two or ninety three, and he never, never, ever comes back. Because Vince, he buys WCW, doesn't he? Yeah, Vince he bought WCW. Brings back all the talent, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, they all move over. The only people who didn't re- reappear would have been Randy Savage and Lex Luger, other than Hall of Fame appearance. But I mean, Randy Savage, you know, his Hall of Fame induction was posthumous, you know, it was after he passed away. Yeah. So, like, think of the top stars. He brought in Goldberg, he even brought in Sting, who didn't even have in the first place, Hall, Nash, Hogan, people who fucked him over a lot more. Brett even came back in WrestleMania. You know, loads of people came back. But Randy didn't. And they allude to what some of the reasons were here in the documentary about that. And, you know... Lanny says one of the main reasons is those Nacho Man promos he yeah. absolutely hated. Now, like, he had a good run in WCW, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, I think it was interesting is that they pointed out in the documentary that the bickering with Hogan got worse because there was no no one in charge in WCW. And, like, they'd this is so lame. Hogan would bring a case of beer to the backstage area for his boys. Mm-hmm. And then Randy would bring a bigger case of beer for his boys. And if you had one of Hogan's beers, you couldn't hang out with Randy's boy. You know, just... So stressful. You fucking 10, like, you're lads, you're in your late 40s. Like, Get over you yourself. know, Get over it. Like, you know, you know, not What's wrong with being... What's the secret password to join our club? Like, there's nothing wrong with being that age, but literally act it, you know? If you, if you want, you know, own your age, fucking be mature don't you know it's so kid like well the thing that pisses me off most about that is think of all the young up and coming talent who you know are new to this industry it's already very intimidating there's a lot of aggressive men lots of hazing going on yeah definitely and then you've got this locker room drama of you can't pick sides you can't even just enjoy a nice can of beer without the the drama of you picked a side there. but make sure you shake everyone's hand and look them in the eye and call them yeah. sir but if you do that while you're drinking one of randy's beers and talking to one of hogan's guys you're fucking dead you'll never work this town again Exhausting. never broken in this business like that 
alone would be too exhausting as a job, but then you've got to be a professional wrestler. It's just funny to think around this time period where, like, Louis Theroux went backstage in WCW to, like, talk to people. I'm like, Louis, 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 Louis. Even with 20 years of wrestling fandom, I couldn't tell you what to do. No. Just go home, mate. <laughs> You're going to get sick. I mean, another high point in his WCW career was he did Team Madness, where he had, you know, he knew his career was winding down and he couldn't do as much, so he surrounded himself with three women, like, who are, including a young Molly Holly in the mix oh, there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he still had good times in WCW. He was still very much the macho man, but, you know, his career wound down and he never returned again. Now, there's a lot of rumour and speculation about why he never came back. Lanny said one of the reasons was you know, the Nacho Man stuff. He didn't like that at all. And the fact that him and Vince left on bad terms. There was a rumour that he told Vince that he wasn't going to go and wrestle again. And he just wanted out of his contract. And then he showed up in WCW and wrestling. And he thought that was a big betrayal. So Vince didn't want him back. The other rumour was is that in 2004, Triple H did a, an interview in a magazine where he was asked about Hogan and Savage. And he said, eh, they're both dinosaurs. And nice. of course, you know, real good there, you know. It certainly has aged well, that that yeah. comment there. Who, who are you trying to wrestle at the moment, Triple H? Is it Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, who are both about 80 years old? No, Joe, it's a stegosaurus, a brontosaurus, and two triceratops with uh, eyeliner wrestling in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, okay? Now, say nothing more about it, or they'll have someone over here to kill you, okay? So just <laughs> care for what you say. They refer to it as an inexplicable banishment, and I hate to even give these ridiculous, ridiculous rumours any sort of credence by talking about it here, but if I don't, people will be like, why, you didn't mention this? Have you heard anything about the rumours, in massive inverted commas, about Stephanie McMahon and the Macho Man? Only that there are rumours. That okay. is literally all I know. The rumour, and this is a strong enough rumour that when I was like 16 or 17, I remember hearing this like from my brother and his friends. Like this was the reason why. Because I remember thinking, like, you know, WCW's been bought now for a bit. I hadn't watched much Randy Savage. He was before my time, but I knew who he was and thought, how come he's not showing up? Oh, easy, Kevin. It's because back in like 1992 or 1993 or whenever it was, when Stephanie was like 14, Macho Man had sex with her. Oh and Vince God. McMahon has found out afterwards, only years and years later after WCW was bought, and vowed to never hire the Macho Man ever again because of what he did to Stephanie. The addendum to that absurd rumour is that Stephanie got pregnant as a result and that only Linda knew about the abortion that happened and it nearly tore the family apart. Now, very minor sleuthing can address the following things. Number one, between 1992 and 1993, Stephanie was around 18 years old. Not, not 14 or whatever. Number two, there was a thread on a very prominent wrestling forum back in 2004 which was literally the title what's the most insane made-up wrestling rumor you could think of and some real and mostly false were included in there in there was macho man slept with a teenage stephanie mcmahon in you know whenever it was it would have been before like wikipedia would have had everyone's date of birth and all that stuff hence the error and why everyone was saying she was 15 or whatever it was that's the first mention or incident of that rumor ever and Macho Man did a plug on his website for his VIP section where after Triple H had made those comments, he was like, oh, Triple H, you're talking smack about the Macho Man. I'm going to go and take your wife, Stephanie. Yeah, put her on my shoulder. She's going to be my woman. Just kind of fucking shitty tough talk. Mm -hmm. But as to the rumors, if you insist on believing them, more power to you. But like, what happened? So what? 
What evidence is there to believe them? There is no evidence. Just that. So why would anyone believe? Because this? other wrestlers have since heard the rumor, and in shoot interviews, there's been guys kind of going, oh, "I don't know, man. Maybe you know. Maybe I've got. I'm. Hey, I'm Billy Jack Hayes. I've got nothing to say in my five-hour shoot interview. So maybe I'll scratch my chin and go, "Ooh, maybe." When I hear about this Stephanie rumor. With all due respect, then, if you believe those rumors, no respect to you. <laughs> <laughs> that is the due respect in that instance. Do your research before you spread harmful, malicious rumours. It is a very intriguing rumour and a very salacious one. Certainly salacious. And one which, you know, when I heard it when I was 16, straight away, of course it makes sense. <laughs> why? Because why else would macho men not be allowed back in? Oh my God. You know, of course. Absolutely, of course. Triple H is in power now. Of course him and Stephanie aren't going to let macho man, the rapist, come back to... You know, it's just... Uh, it's there's no there's no truth to it, but people are going to believe what they're going to want to believe. Don't believe it. You know, don't. We're in a time now where you can actually find out with a bit of sleuthing That's the where the stuff comes me from. Off, right? Do your work. So many people refuse to believe all the shit that Jerry Lawler did. So yeah, save that one for the episode, folks. Unless you fancy doing some <laughs> horrible googling. When I mentioned that on Twitter not that long ago, I had so many people going, "No, it's not true." No, even though it's in. Look in the paper. Official court documents and in several newspapers at the time. And yet this, with not an nth of evidence, are just so happy to jump on board. Same thing with the you know the Vince McMahon tanning salon thing. Everyone I yeah, heard that was like so keen to be like, no, it didn't happen. No, no, it didn't happen. Oh, actually, ignore all the evidence. If, if you actually look at the evidence and what's been reported, you know, it's quite easy to find these things out. It's like me, me and Sam recently for Cinema Swirl, we did the Blair Witch Project. And we're like, of course, nowadays... You can look up all this stuff and find out straight away that, no, this was all made up and all these reports they said they weren't true. But we're in the digital age now. It ain't fucking 2004 yeah. anymore, folks, okay? We've all we've all got the ability, if we've got an internet connection, to find out. And yes, wrestlers have speculated on this for the purposes of making shoot interviews where they get paid to appear on it seem more interesting. There's so much scummy shit that's happened in the wrestling industry. Yeah, actually scummy Just shit. focus on the stuff that happened, okay? Because there's Stephanie. loads. There's loads. Yeah, of all the all the female victims in wrestling, all right, Stephanie McMahon's not one of well, them, all right? at least not in this particular instance. In not this instance, As far no. as evidence shows. Yeah, I, I think it's... And it's just like... To think that, you know, when people thought of Macho Man for between 2001 and 2011, a lot of the time it was like, oh yeah, like, you know, the, the rumours, are they true? That's all people care about. Ridiculous. And I hate that I have to talk about it on this episode, but I just, I hope in some way, if you're listening and you've always wondered, trust us, it's not true. <laughs> it's, it's not true, unless there is a multi-layered conspiracy, alright, and really think about the people involved here. Why would be inducted in the Hall of Fame? I know. Like, this Bec- is Vince Because he's McMahon. dead now, so that's No, the- this is Vince. Imagine the things they did with China. Like, she didn't even do anything wrong and they're going to yeah. keep her out of the Hall of Fame for God knows how yeah, long. Yeah, but no, but Vince, no, the ultimate last laugh is to, to lock Randy Savage in the Hall of Fame. Like the, <laughs> like the Phantom Zone going, no, I'm trapped in here forever. No, it's just not true, is it? Oh my God, that makes me so angry. And Lanny Poffo, the genius, God bless him, all right, I have some issues with the man, but the fact that he's had to spend the greater part of the last 14 or 15 years having to, every interview, talk about his brother and then talk about that, well, fucking hell, you know. You know what, though? That at least explains why he's so defensive about all the stuff. Yeah, because the rumours are... Uh, there's a lot of rumours out there. Yeah, you know? and like, 
obviously some of the stuff with his attitude towards women, especially with regards to Elizabeth, is really bad and really toxic. And true and as true. well. Yeah. yeah, there is evidence there. There's enough different corroborating stories to show that, yes, that probably did happen. It did happen, yeah. Whereas, the, why would she fixate on this when it clearly... Come on, like, even within just Randy's own life, there's I other know. things to care about there that actually did happen, that he did, and they're very, very bad and wrong. And, I mean, you know, bar some appearances on, you know, doing voiceovers and, you know, a, a great rap album that was released in 2003, <laughs> you can kind of see why Randy kind of maybe faded from the public eye. And, you know, they talked about when he retired and he went away, he, you know, he reconnected with his high school sweetheart, oh, which was really so sweet. Cute. yeah. And they bought like a really isolated like ranch in a patch of land where they're kind of they're far away from the public eye, just so they could kind of have a bit of peace. Because like Randy, I don't think ever really learned how to relax. Is something that they were saying like in mm. his lifetime, which is quite quite sad. But I have to ask you, I played you a couple of cuts off that spicy Macho Man Randy Savage album, Be A Man. Mm. What are your thoughts on Randy Savage's rap debut? I know people make fun of him being a rapper. I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It's just great. It's like this total non-stop diss towards Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not the only reason I like it, but that's definitely a significant part of it. But I genuinely like his voice for a rap album. I think yeah. it's, it's interesting and unique. Can we anticipate Joe Graham's spoken word instrumental versions of the Macho Man, Randy Savage's rap masterpiece? Well, I, don't, I don't know how you turn a rap into an instrumental. Well, I mean, so <laughs> a rap into a spoken word. Be like a, slam poetry, I guess. Yeah, see. slam poetry style, yeah. you know? Be like Will Shatner. I think he can make it work. I think so. You know, that could just be how to Hogan revisited. Of course, after his retirement, there was a few kind of you know, notable instances along the way. There was obviously quite a dramatic and very upsetting story along the way, which the documentary kind of dipped its toe into a very little bit, but maybe didn't want to embrace it for the really tragic, sad story it is. And, you know, their two lives are linked together forever, really. And that was, you know, Miss Elizabeth. And she passed away in around 2004, I believe it was. And it's just a fucking saddest goddamn story. Um, so sad. Like, you hear about the wrestling industry chewing people up and kind of spitting them out. And I know she went on. She said, you know, she did have a normal job after wrestling. And it was quite hard to leave a normal life. But, you know. Yeah, she ended up in a relationship with Lex Luger. Mm. Weird looking man. Scary man. And he put her on his reception desk at his gym that he owned. Weird. Like, massive, great, big, successful gym. And he thinks the best role for Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth, the face of wrestling, is reception. Which just boggles the mind. She did that for a while. And then apparently on WCW, they advertised that she was going to make her debut with Lex Luger. Mm. And she went with him on tour. And it was expected at one of these many dates at some point she was going to appear on screen. And she never did. And it was like a couple of years after that that she was involved in a domestic disturbance. Mm. At- between her and Lex Luger. I've heard nothing but bad things about it's the relationship so between those two. Because she was she was in WCW with, with Macho Man and it was nice that they were apparently they were able to work together and they mm. did some angles. She was in the NWO with them and they did they did do stuff together. I imagine it would have worked better seeing as he yeah. couldn't control her. That's anymore. it. They know that their lives are kind of separate now. But yeah, she was in a relationship with Lex Luger and it's just like, you know, she gets involved with a guy and then she gets involved into kind of his scene, which was painkillers, alcohol bad stuff and you know 
domestic disturbances. There was nothing but bad stories that was coming out of this. You know, I think Luger was abusive. No, oh, no, and... absolutely he was abusive. Police came to their house one time and she was found with a significant bump on her head, oh. two black eyes, something like a broken clavicle or something. Jesus like, fucking Christ. Really bad. He beat the shit out of her. And she died then from, it was like acute toxicity from mixing alcohol, painkillers and, and, other, and other drugs. So, you know, it's very much, she was pulled into this toxic lifestyle, which, you know, you hear it happen to so many wrestlers who are kind of, they take painkillers to manage the pain and all the demons that come. But you want to talk about the most fucking sweet, innocent person in wrestling yeah. who didn't even like, she wasn't taking bumps. She didn't have, you know, all the injuries and stuff like that. And she got dragged down to their, to a terrible degree. I and think. again, I'm not justifying Randy's behavior. I think it's absolutely unacceptable how he dealt with his paranoia and his control issues. But you get this insight then into just what he was afraid of happening. That's the, it's literally the worst case scenario that Randy envisioned. Yeah. And they say, like Mean Gene says, you know, he, he was a friend with Rand, of Randy's and he said, you know, he would try and call and talk and he just, he never talked about it. He would not talk about it. It's just, he squeezed it into a bitter little ball and suppressed it, which... He clearly loved her, you know, well beyond the day she died. Yeah, like, it's really sad. It is, it's really, really sad. And I'm, you can see then why so many wrestlers of that era was so like Kevin Nash yeah so insistent to keep their personal lives separate from their professional lives because I think it is if you sadly if you are at all a good person it's so easy to be taken advantage of in that industry yeah and I think that wrestling industry in the the 90s and the 80s or whatever it was a toxic place and it's you know, I think that some people it kind of it helps and hurts in equal measures. You know, like Roddy Piper, it definitely helped him in ways, but it also hurt him. It mm. it helped aspects of his of his mental health, and it also maybe exacerbated some of the other sides of it. I gotta think the same thing for Macho Man, and you know, with Elizabeth, it just feels like you know here was just this kind of I know a lot of you know you hear people say oh sweet and innocent and all that i understand a lot of that is you know it's a character and it's a brand and mm. i was put forth i know she was obviously a human being and much more complex than all that but, but even still all the people who spoke about her who knew her personally said that is what she yeah. was like she was this really sweet lovely person who got on with everyone and never had a bad word to say about anyone and it's kind of like you know seeing even though randy passed away he passed away quite young as well you know he was only 58 when he passed but at least with Randy, there was, he reconnected with an old love. He was, you know, there's all those lovely pictures of their wedding. Like he's got the old, he's let himself go gray. He looks like big macho Santa Claus. He looked great. Yeah. Like the fact he did have a happy ending. Unfortunately, it was still quite a short one. But Elizabeth was like 40 when yeah, she died. She was 41, yeah. It's you really, know? It's too young. And, and that's the saddest thing I think that comes out of this story is definitely it, it Elizabeth. it wasn't inevitable. The no, way, no The way. way Randy died, he's, he had a heart attack behind the wheel. That could happen to anyone. It's, mm. it's very sad. It's very chance to happen. Yeah. But uh, acute toxicity combining... A severe amount of number of painkillers and alcohol, that's vodka. A, that's a lifestyle over a long period of time that she's been dragged down to. And, you know, with Lex Luger, you know, after that he had serious health problems. He was on death's door. He became a born-again Christian. Oh, almost and... like he's got a lot of guilt there. Hmm. Well, he, in the documentary, he was like, yeah, there was a few dark years in my life there. But, I mean, you know, he's got to live with that for the rest of his life. I think yes, a lot of does. people don't want to assign blame to someone who seems so contrite and seems that they've changed their life. I don't think it's life. about blame. I think it's no. about responsibility. Mm. 
And I don't think it's fair to shun the responsibility of your actions. Yeah. It's not about assigning blame. It's not about no. pointing fingers. But I don't think it's fair to assume that someone has made a complete turnaround in their life. Well, just because... I mean, if they have, if you you can make a turnaround in your life and not necessarily have made amends. Yes. You know, that's the thing. Well, that's the thing. He can't ever make amends for what he's done. No. He will, yeah, he will have to go to his grave with... No, what he's done. Yeah. Yeah. So Knowing the impact he had on someone's life. But when they're covering Macho Man's passing here, it's like a real like you see the chord that he struck with people, like the the sadness and like I don't think I ever saw so much fan art. And there's a few times when wrestlers pass away where you see kind of a lot of closeted wrestling fans or like you know, a lot of people like when I was a kid, this guy was my fucking my whole world and Randy Savage was definitely one of those. There's a, a great picture that did the rounds and it was like it was after the day that Randy passed away. Someone did, it was like him in heaven, like doing the elbow drop, and it was like he prevented the apocalypse from 2012 by going up to heaven and doing the elbow drop right. and saving humanity. Like that's okay. some, people, have, people kind of romanticize Randy as this, like you know, like in death, his kind of his mystique and his legend has lived on. And you know, a sad thing about it was that him passing was then WWE were like great. Now we can fucking talk about him. That's so sad. You and know, that's and such a common thing in WWE as well. It's you know, shameful. They did a, I remember they did a video package which like moved people to tears uh, the week after he died. And I remember seeing that going, where the fuck was this? Like the last 10, you know, no, 15, 16 years. WWE is the Hulk Hogan of anything. That suits them. As soon as they're dead, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we were on great terms. We were BFFs. It's sad. And I think the fact that we never got to see, you know, the Hall of Fame, I do understand a lot of people's gripes with it. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily, you know, the, the be all and end all and all that. But I think it's very, it's an important cathartic moment for a lot of wrestlers and a lot of fans. Yeah. And I do think one of the greatest regrets is that, you know, the genius, Lanny Poffo, he was the person who had to induct Randy and yeah. be there on his behalf. And we didn't get to hear Randy Savage. You know, there's, no, there's like nothing really out there of Randy just being, hey, this is Randy Poffo. Yeah. I'm talking to you straight. It's always the character, always on. The closest thing they have in this documentary to like a normal sit-down interview, he's wearing the big fucking cowboy hat and the big crazy glasses. And it would have been lovely just to hear him as him, mm. just have a moment just to say thank you or just to talk about his life and his career because he never really had that chance and that's quite sad yeah but he is being honoured in death I guess even if he wasn't necessarily honoured in life by that company but the trouble with being honoured only in death is I think it's far too easy then to write off all the problems yeah. that someone has had you know it's after someone dies you feel almost cruel in some respects being like well they weren't quite the perfect individual you are now making them out to be posthumously like this <laughs> was a very warrior. troubled individual who had a lot of issues yeah. and maybe didn't live his life as well as he could have done made a lot of mistakes but the trouble is when you only get that posthumously you you don't get the whole story you just mm. get the positives yeah and i think maybe there's like maybe a kind of part of his life that kind of maybe is overlooked or i think there's a lot of like unfinished business and questions unanswered and what ifs and you know, God, I mean, I know Randy appeared once in TNA, like they hyped him for ages and he came in and threw one punch and never appeared again. But it's so weird to think that he was so removed from wrestling and yet still in pop culture, you know. How the fuck can you get booked in Spider-Man and not get booked for WWE yeah. or TNA? That didn't make any sense to me. I think much like China, I feel like he died at exactly the wrong time. And yeah. if he'd only lived a few years longer, he would have been able to actually see the next era of wrestling, which is really 
I think it made him feel great about himself. So many wrestlers now, today, are so heavily influenced by it. Oh, God. It's so obvious. There is a wrestler called Jay Lethal, whose entire gimmick when he was in TNA for many years was Black Machismo Jay Lethal, where he thought he was Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> and there was, like, the, the ring announcer, uh, SoCal Val, he was like, that's Elizabeth! And he would just, he would come out, he would do the, he was like a, a black man doing the whole Macho Man gimmick, and he would have the robes, the music, he would, even though he was a high flyer doing springboards, he would just do the elbow drop wow. and the punches he would wrestle just like randy savage that's amazing so yeah it's like his inspiration is is everywhere you see it as well there's so many more options now it's we've passed a point where wwe is the only wrestling company that's really yeah. out there i'd like to think that if you know macho man was still going he could be conceivably on like the bullet club or something being like a dirty <laughs> nasty heel <laughs> dirty old manager yeah. Like, yeah bullet club with a big white beard i like that he could have gone to japan <laughs> and found a whole new audience and, yeah like, there's so many more opportunities now if you get blacklisted by the wwe it it's not as big a deal as it used to be. Yeah, that's there are true. Other options. That's very, very true. And I kind of, you're right. I think maybe the wrong time to pass. There's no right time no. to pass away, I guess. Well, that is the life, the times, and the career of Macho Man Randy Savage. And as we said earlier, he struck quite a chord with our fan base. It's time to hear from the How To Universe and check out some of your tweets. Macho Man Randy Savage, Sarasota, Florida. Come on in. You're going to be defending against the dragon, Ricky Steamboat. What's the cup for? WrestleMania 3, Pontiac, Michigan. Yeah, 90,000 plus people watching right there. And this is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's cup of coffee in the big time. Yeah, cup of coffee in the big time because you'll never get closer than now. I am the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion and I will remain the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. And George the Animal Steel on the outside will be no. No factor, yeah. You say no factor. Obviously, he is a factor, or you wouldn't even brought it up. Oh, wow. Mr. Sarcasm, yeah. I don't care if you got 23 wrestlers around the outside, and it doesn't even matter, no, because I am ready, and I will not let this opportunity slip through my fingers. Cup of coffee, man, yeah. Man. Wow, man, freak out. So I'm going to start off with, this is the sweetest tweet I've ever read out. On the tweet this, is sweet. On this podcast. Uh, this is from Heel Hauer. Macho Man is the reason I got back into wrestling. Macho Man promos got me through grad school while working full time. I'm now a therapist and I sometimes use the it's okay for macho men to cry clip with my clients struggling with toxic masculinity. Oh man, I wonder if he does word association. I jump Hulk Hogan, yeah. <laughs> That's not the only tweet we've had, by the way, where people mention how much the it's okay for macho men to cry yeah, yeah, yeah. it's okay for macho men to feel every emotion mm. how that resonated with so many young men yeah definitely i mean randy definitely showed more of a gamut of emotions than any of the other wrestlers of his era for definite yeah this next tweet's from Neil Fursco. Randy Savage always struck me as someone whose intelligence was a mixed blessing. As smart and savvy as he was about wrestling, I think fewer wrestlers carried around as much pathos and insecurity as he did. Yeah, I mean, because obviously thinking about your matches and everything that goes into them and watching your tapes obsessively, that's great. But that very much... Thinking can become overthinking so easily when you've got yeah. a mindset like that, yeah. Goddamn, I'm Glam says, was legitimately the, my favourite wrestler in the Attitude Era, even during his 99 midlife crisis. As a shy <laughs> kid, he embodied everything I wanted to be, over the top, out of control, and be able to confidently express myself. I still have his WCW rip-off brawl buddy to this day. Oh man, amazing. 
We need a Macho Man figure in we this do. house. Yeah, we have to get one. <laughs> Are they hard to find? No, there's there's a that's another thing in recent years WWE have released some fucking really ornate over the top detailed tasselly robe Macho Man figures. Wow, so we'll have to get one. Jarman Travis says He's one of the few top stars at the time who would put people over. He had a keen eye for the business and was a nice person outside of the ring. In interviews, he would be so gracious and humble to the fans and interviewers. He was a hero and an inspiration to me growing up. It's kind of uh, easy to view Hogan's uh, kind of outlook on him as being a little bit garbage then, isn't it? Where he's like, oh, he was crazy and paranoid and weird and just like, you know, everyone was always saying how weird he was and how he rubbed everyone the wrong way. He was meant to be like always a consummate professional mm-hmm. and like everyone who worked with him says really nice things about him. Yeah. Except for Hogan. <laughs> Chris Hollinshead says, Randy was a once in a lifetime wrestler. Nobody else has quite managed to exude or even simulate the same charisma, flamboyance, athleticism and passion as him all at once. My favourite of all time, truly cream of the crop, Nobody did it better. Oh, man. And you know what? I wonder if anyone like tried to do costumes and entrance and kind of the bravado and all that like, like him nowadays, if if you could even do that. like Because you have to own it so much. There's so few wrestlers who I think have that all-encompassing confidence that just oozes out of them that they could wear crazy outfits like that. Because even the most confident wrestlers still want to look kind of what the, the current you know the current cool is i would say the velveteen dream is kind of that's very true as close as you'll get yeah i mean actually you know what in terms of tassels he's definitely the spiritual successor to randy savage for sure wbf fact says a tremendous moment where having nearly crushed ricky steamboat's throat macho turns to the camera and bellows i'm so proud of myself (laughs) before interviewer san martino calls him a piece of slime and attacks him a piece of slime good words from bruno there that is my only favorite insult yeah anytime now i want to call someone a piece of shit i'm just gonna call him a piece of slime instead that's so good beautiful smashed h says my favorite wrestler of all time macho was great at every aspect of the game i loved him as a baby face and hated him as a heel he was one of those characters who transcended wrestling and became an icon a truly legendary wrestler and entertainer. Yeah, I think like Macho Man, you know, you mentioned, you know, how if maybe his is, you know, if he was around for longer or whatnot, he could have found life in other companies, you know, given that you know, WWE's not the only game in town anymore. And like, yeah, imagine like Macho Man is like an authority figure or just a, you know, not not a commentator, but him as a character. I think he's strong enough that you wouldn't even need to need to have wrestling, need to see him wrestle. For yeah. him to actually be an important part of a show, I think. I guess it's just whether or not he'd have ever been happy in a role like that. Mm, that's true. That happens oftentimes with someone like that who's so driven. They don't want to sit back and watch other people do it. Yeah, and he's so... We know, you know, since he was born, he's been athletic and wanted to be up and doing things and busy and constantly doing exercise. So. I don't think Macho Man is the type of guy who could have taught people how to... You know, yeah. I don't think he could teach to do what he does. I don't no. think he could sit you down and go, this is how you be you know, charismatic. I don't think he, he could actually have done that. No. <laughs> Plus, can you imagine how he would have handled social media? <gasps> oh my God. Yeah, I said that during the thing about Elizabeth. Could you imagine? Awful. He'd be fucking, he would be dop rope elbow dropping into your DMs. So fucking bad. hell. Yeah. Joe Del Toro says, the man is a kaleidoscope of character. You can see darkness, charisma, passion, hatred, and hilarity just by taking a quick glance at him. Many became great wrestlers, but he may be the only one who was just born to be a great wrestler. Lord knows he was not a rapper. <laughs> Watch your fucking mouth out, what's up? A lot of people have mentioned that. You know, I don't think anyone can slip between making me kind of go, haha, yes, really funny and interesting to, oh Jesus, you're really fucking intense and scary, yeah. and not really 
change what they're saying or doing. You yes. know, it's still the same 100% full on uh, coming at you. But with slight changes, he can make you feel a lot of different things. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I picked this one for you, Kevin, because this has made me laugh a lot. C. Duller says, My absolute favourite as a child. So much energy and charisma. I wanted to take Randy as my confirmation name, but I wasn't allowed. Oh, you poor so-and-so. That's so fucking shit. I mean, I thought you could relate to that. Yeah, not, no. Not I being allowed Roberto. You don't let me a Roberto. That's just my name. I'm taking it anyway. That's what it is. <laughs> fuck, fuck confirmation name constraints. Yeah, go with whatever you want. Because a lad in two villages over, yeah, in fucking Ath Boy, he got to take Kurt after Kurt Angle with a K. Oh, you tell me what Kurt's been canonized. Yeah, seriously, there's no huh? Kurt Saints. Fucking ridiculous. That is, that's a joke. I, just, I don't know. There's loads of Saint Roberts for fuck's sake. Yeah, there's probably a Saint Roberto in Mexico or the, somewhere. The other one I wanted to do Kevin, so it can be Kevin James, Kevin Mahan, because yeah. it's Saint Kevin. But that wasn't allowed either. It's oh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. They probably thought it was after Kevin Nash. Oh. <laughs> no more wrestling confirmation names. <laughs> Damn, that's all the tweets I have are just wrestling confirmation names. <laughs> Zombie Larkin says, The definition of charisma. There's no way you could see Randy Savage and think he was anything other than a star. He could and should have been the top guy in all of wrestling after he won the belt. Yep. Well, I mean, it's one of those guys where, you know, they say about Rock and Hogan, the attitude there, where you had two top guys came along at the exact same time. What happened did the time of Randy Savage is two top guys came along with Randy, a year and a half to two years between them. I think the, Hogan hadn't already been there and chosen as you're the first guy we're going with this. Then Randy totally would have been the top guy. I think it was just the fact Vince's almost loyalty to Hogan meant yeah. that he kept coming back to him. Even though, I mean, they've shown, they proved it. Business was just as good, if not better, when Randy was on top. But Vince always went back to that comfortable set of slippers known as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Well, that's Vince's whole bag though, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. This one's from Calabron. He was the reason I got into wrestling. He's the first wrestler I remember pretending to be, whether it was doing his gruff voice or dropping the big elbow on my friends. It wasn't until I became an adult that I realised he was actually a great wrestler. I hope it wasn't nostalgia. <laughs> I mean, it definitely... I do think if you're a new fan watching matches from that era, I do think... Why I might be overly paranoid with kind of like, oh, you have to prepare and alter your expectations. I just think as long as you know that there's going to be different moves and it's a different style i still think the athleticism the quickness the pace the psychology all of it is still rings true i mean did you enjoy watching randy matches i did i'm yeah i, I think i definitely did yeah I, I i kind of have the same attitude with wrestling that i have to like watching old movies like mm. old horror movies especially you're not going to see all like the special effects or anything yeah it's a different time and you've got to understand that they had different challenges you yeah. have to appreciate it in a different way within the context of the time it was set mm, yeah so yes i enjoyed it i don't think it's fair to compare it directly to maybe some of my modern favorite matches this one's from LHDH. Savage and Elizabeth reuniting at WrestleMania 7 is genuinely one of the sweetest and most honestly emotional moments in wrestling history. Yes, I do think so. And every time I've watched that, it always gave me goosebumps. It I... made me well up a few times as well. But you only saw that after yeah. the documentary. I wish I could relate because I just... I mean, I didn't technically see it after the documentary. I mean, you saw I, it on I the live show. I did see it before. Yeah. But I think the difficulty for me is I... Even before I watched the clip, I knew he was controlling of Elizabeth mm. and I knew that they were already separated at that point. And so for me, I can't watch it without thinking of all the sadness. Yeah. All the pain that 
they would have gone through as a couple to get to that point. Their real life drama makes it very difficult to suspend your disbelief. You know, yeah. it's to, it's just too close. And that's the issue, isn't it? When you're, you dip into the real life, it's great because it's real and the emotion is real and then you just, it's magnified up then. But, you know, you pull on that thread and, you know, you know how much do you want us to know? Like you're, you're inviting us into their lives. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing that, we know what comes with that. It's kind of hard to stop short. Oh, to be a blissfully ignorant fan in 1991. <laughs> I am really envious of anyone who gets to watch this kind of whole segment and all the leading up to it without knowing all the stuff. Because yeah. I really do feel it hinders yeah. your appreciation of it. You would have gotten to see that, like if you were growing up at the time, you would have gotten to see that and like properly pure and as it was. Downside is you're old as fuck now. So, you know, yeah. that's, you got swings and roundabouts, isn't it? So. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's impossible for me to relate, especially with the gap as well of how long she was gone. Yeah. You know, I've got to learn all this in such a short space of time. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult, but yeah... I, I get it. It's one of the sweetest moments for most wrestling fans. Mm. You're not going to take that away from anyone. Oh, no. Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't try. Well, we've talked about Macho Man Randy Savage. And as we're in the 80s and having a nice time, and it is feeling like, as we said, a comfy pair of slippers, there is a very important man, a very important voice, and a very important brain we need to dissect into a little bit further. Because our next episode is going to be about the Johnny Carson of the World Wrestling Federation and one of the funniest, most articulate and intelligent people ever to set foot in the world of wrestling. We're going to be talking about everyone's favourite weasel, Bobby the Brain Heenan. He had a hammer once. He had a hammer once. Joe knows that and he got to see him doing the Royal Rumble commentary with Ric Flair and him screaming about seeing photos of Elizabeth this week. Yeah, I could have done with less of that, to be honest. (laughs) Bobby Heenan is someone who never ceases to make me laugh. Every time I find something new of him, I gobble it up immediately because I enjoy it so, so much. We're going to be checking out the documentary that they did about Bobby Heenan's career and his life. But honestly, the best stuff with Bobby Heenan is always that little weird random clip that you found or a little weird bit of... You know, him on safari with Gorilla Monsoon or him playing miniature golf. Whatever random weird segment it is, we need to compile the ultimate playlist of segments, moments, matches with great commentary and stuff on Tuesday Night Titans with Gorilla Monsoon and Vince McMahon from Bobby the Brain Heenan. There's not going to be any matches, obviously, but there's going to be a lot of segments to watch. And we want to know your thoughts on the fantastic and absolutely brilliant Bobby the Brain Heenan. We've already got the artwork started on this one from Dan. Oh my god, it's so fucking good. Yeah, it's amazing. I absolutely love it. I'm so excited. Speaking of the artwork, I loved the artwork for this episode. Yeah. Especially. It's beautiful. It is colourful, enigmatic, bombastic. It encapsulated the Macho Man very, very well. So, we are after your tweets, your favourite moments and memories, and the parts of his career and the moments that made you laugh the most. Joe has liked what she's seen of Bobby Heenan so far, so let's go par for the course. Send us your best stuff using the hashtag HowToBobbyHeenan. That's two B's, two E's. Don't forget to use the hashtag in your tweets and send them to HowToWrestling on Twitter or head over to Facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling and leave us your thoughts. And while you're there as well, Joe, you can now leave us a rating or review on Facebook. Why not let people know why you like HowToWrestling and uh, let us have know with a little review. Thank you. 
until next time, where we're going to be talking about the brain, the weasel. God, he's got a lot of uh, monikers. The hammer. (laughs) He had it once, but important. Bobby the Hammer Heenan. It's going to be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya. Ooh, yes. Ooh, yeah. Coffee now with the Big Time Podcaster.